Everybody, it's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to season nine, episode 185 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and how it takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise. That's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collections. Inspired by Star Wars, we got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the long-awaited animated superhero film, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We'll share our non-spoiler thoughts on the film, followed by a spoiler-filled conversation about the film's characters, major moments, and big reveals. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a brief recap of the film's predecessor, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was released nearly five years ago in December of 2018, which is actually kind of hard to believe Mm. that it's been nearly five years since the release of that movie. But if you go back to 2018, that was actually a pretty spectacular year for superhero films. We had gotten Black Panther. We had gotten Avengers Infinity War. You and I are both big fans of Aquaman. We also got that movie Mm -hmm. in December as well. And even outside of superhero films, there was an incredible release in terms of gaming with Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4, the video game, which was also critically lauded, very successful video game, taking that iconic character and transporting him over into the the video game universe and creating this new franchise. And so it was just a crazy, crazy 2018. Mm -hmm. And probably the most unassuming film of that year was Into the Spider-Verse because it was an animated Spider-Man movie. It was about the Miles Morales interpretation of the character, which probably the public at large hadn't really become that known with who he was unless you were a comic reader. But I think for the fact that the movie came out at the end of the year and there were also some other huge blockbuster movies that released within the genre, it felt like it went a little bit under the radar to some people. But then it came out and obviously made huge waves and it was a groundbreaking movie. But let's go back to 2018 and just sort of recollect your memories and and everything Mm -hmm. you were sort of thinking about and experiencing up until the release of that movie. How did you feel about the announcement and just the overall rollout and release of Into the Spider-Verse and just the thought that we were going to explore that character in animation? Man, I was, I think, elated (laughs) and excited to to know, um, I, I think Miles Morales as as a character at least a little bit before that time, um, and I just wanted to see him come to fruition. Like you telling me, there's going to be a black Spider Man in any kind of medium in terms of a movie or or, or something like that. And I was I, I I really couldn't put it into words in the moment, but it, I had to be a little bit nervous too, right? Because the 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 sony verse <laughs> or sony um in general was was a little wishy-washy when it came to spider-man up until that point um this movie really is a big turning point for i think just sony in general yeah but at that time i remember being like mm, i love miles morales y'all cannot do this wrong or else i'm throwing hands i'm sending letters <laughs> i'm doing all kind of things if you don't get miles right um and and, and i just remember 
you know, being, uh, I think, just excited for other people, too. Because as you mentioned, a lot of people at that time don't know who Miles Morales even is. And I think I was excited for him to finally be in the public guys, right, versus the people, I think, like us, who kind of knew the Donald Glover of it all, who kind of knew the black Spider-Man of it all, you know what I mean? And so I was just excited, I think, for him to be introduced into the world. And not only that, but uh, uh, animation is competitive. It is. You know, we... we 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 keep a lot of movies close to our hearts that are animated, whether it's the Lion Kings and the Mulans and other Disney movies, Shreks even, you know what I mean? We keep a lot of those close to the heart. So for them, say, they're coming out with an animated Spider-Man film, I think there's just so much weight on their shoulders when that movie comes out. But overall, man, I was pretty, again, excited for the world to be introduced to Miles Morales. And that was the, the biggest thing for me, I think, coming out of, uh, uh, I think, the lead up to Into the Spider-Verse. I'll never forget that at the end of 2017, a full year before Into the Spider-Verse came out was the first time that I saw a trailer for Into the Spider-Verse. They started the marketing rollout for it pretty early, and I was just shocked that they were going to explore Miles, but I was very happy about it, of course, just due to the early lineage that the character had already established in the comic books. But then the choice to do it in animation was a bit of a confounding one for me at the time, just because of what you just said about the competitive nature of animation, Mm -hmm. knowing that Pixar and DreamWorks were certainly on very hot streaks at that particular time, but also due to the fact that Sony Pictures Animation hadn't done a ton of projects up until that point. They had stuff come out. They had movies like Hotel Transylvania, Surf Sub. Like, they had stuff yeah. that were that were releasing, but these weren't, like, huge, massive hits, mm-hmm. per se. Exactly. So they were still relatively early in terms of being a studio that was, I think, well-respected in the animation space. And so it just felt like a risk. And I also just didn't know how it was going to play out because I wasn't all that familiar with Sony Pictures Animation and their work prior to that. And then again, just to be excited about the Miles character, knowing that we were not going to explore Peter Parker, at least for the lead of the film, we were going to take it and go a different route was was certainly exciting. But again, 2018 was just so stacked. There were just so many hit movies that were coming out that year, especially in the superhero space, that when you have Black Panther come out and be the groundbreaking film that it was when you have Avengers Infinity War, just shake up the world in the way that it did. (laughs) I had almost forgotten about Into the Spider-Verse at that time, if I'm being honest about Mm -hmm. it, just because there was so much going on. And then you get to the end of the year and it turns out that it might have been my favorite movie out of all the bunches of of films that came out that year. Like arguably it's the best one. And and that's saying a lot just considering the heat that was coming out in 2018. So it was a really, really phenomenal testament that the movie's quality was so apparent, I think, to so many people and that so many people did love it who did get a chance to see it. And when the movie did come out, almost automatically, I think the industry and people that did see the movie sort of knew that something special was happening with Into the Spider-Verse, so much so that the movie did go on to win the Best Animated Feature Film at the Academy Awards in the year of 2019, which was the first non-Pixar movie, I think, to win that award in, like, I don't know, like, eight or nine years. Like, the last movie that did it was in 2011. Mm -hmm. But it was also a very well-respected movie by industry peers, directors, filmmakers who were coming out praising the movie. I remember Barry Jenkins had really glowing things to say about it. James Gunn said it's his favorite superhero movie ever. Chris Pratt, obviously playing Star-Lord in the Guardians franchise, had a lot of really positive things, just so on and so forth. So many filmmakers and actors were witnessing just this this groundbreaking experience and saying, hey, y'all, this is this is a really, really special film. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. And I remember it had a Netflix release, which was great for it. But once the movie came out and you did see it, I mean, ultimately, how did your relationship unfold with the movie? Did you know from the very first viewing that you would love it as much as you would? And then ultimately, over time, how did that relationship grow with the movie? And how do you feel about it five years later at this point? 
Man, I remember leaving the theater after the first time watching it like, wait a second. What did I just witness? <laughs> what exactly just happened? Um, and, you know, Into the Spider-Verse really is a movie that has so many characters and spider people in it that, okay, at first I thought I was on a hide from that, right? I'm like, okay, I, I understand there's a lot going on in this movie. And I, I think I didn't give myself permission to be as excited <laughs> as as I as I probably would have been the first time watching it. Because I again I had a feeling I was like, okay, this might be one of the coldest movies <laughs> that I've low key ever seen. But again, I didn't give myself that permission, so I had to go see it again. <laughs> I definitely had to go see it a second time to make sure that I wasn't tripping. Because again, at, at that time, it is such an anomaly that Sony comes out with an animated Spider-Man movie surrounded around Miles Morales that might be good. It's just like a, it was such an unbelievable thing in my mind at the time. But after that second viewing, I said, no, nah, I wasn't tripping. <laughs> I was not tripping about anything. In fact, it, it easily and quickly became one of my favorite superhero films almost immediately after that second show. And again, just to solidify the feelings that I had the first times. Uh, and, and I think over time, I think what excited me so much about Into the Spider-Verse is continuously seeing i think people try to emulate it and try to catch up to it and i think that always helps how i feel about the movie because i'm like this movie is so good that y'all keep trying to make your animation like it or you keep trying to tell stories that are uh, that are similar to it in the same way that uh, uh of course these these multiversal movies aren't new we know that right but into the spider-verse was it came at a time where it, it was able to shine a light on the movie version of what the, that universe is, what that multidimensional adventure is supposed to feel like. And I think that 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 continued to stick with me through time as now that's what we're getting the most of is these multi uh, uh, dimensional adventures. And so, man, I, I it be, it's still one of my favorite films and I still love it to this day, man. And it still it still gets play. I had a similar experience the first time that I saw it. I didn't really understand what I had watched. I was like, I've never experienced anything like this. So I couldn't put the the entire viewing experience into words. I really couldn't formulate how I felt about it. I knew I liked it, but I didn't know how much I liked it. And similarly, I went back to see it a second and a third time in theaters, like almost immediately just to remember what occurred, of course, within the story, but to also just try to process. Yeah the actual animation style, which is overwhelming when you first see it because we had not seen anything quite like it. There were so many just different blended elements, the 2D mixed with the 3D, and then all the other stuff that they mixed into it to just make it this really unique, watchable, just completely overwhelming experience of of, of, of a new style of animation. And so seeing it those, those multiple rewatches later, it was like, oh, wow, this is probably a turning point for mm -hmm. animated films. Like we might be experiencing a moment here but it wasn't for me, I think, really until we were getting around the Academy Awards season where it's like, oh, no, this is also just industry respected as well. Like the peers who work alongside these filmmakers are saying, hey, y'all, we've not seen anything like this. We have to acknowledge this right now. Like we can't we can't just wait for five years to pass for people to realize the brilliance that's happening here. This is almost an immediate thing. And I think that that instant sort of gratification that we were seeing out of the experience was just like something unlike that had really been experienced with a lot of movies, especially on the animated front. I, it felt like it had been a while since there was an animated movie to come along to say like, this might be a new era, probably since like 
Toy Story. I think if we're being honest about it, like I, unless you're talking about, you know, non-American productions, but I think on the American side of things, like Toy Story felt like the last sea change really until this movie mm-hmm. came along. And we saw almost immediately just the influence that it had. You had other animated movies come out. The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is another Sony animation project. The Bad Guys, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which just dropped the a movies. few months ago. And even the creators behind Miss Marvel said that the the animated style that they incorporated in some of those earlier episodes was directly inspired by Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And to your point earlier, but beyond the animation, just the idea of multiversal storytelling, we hadn't really saw that in a theatrical comic book movie prior to Into the Spider-Verse. Exactly. Marvel Studios, they were cooking up plans, and I think that the multiverse was probably always there, but this did feel like it gave them the extra confidence to say like, oh, well, we're full steam ahead for the next saga. And I don't think it's any accident that just a mere three years later, we get Spider-Man No Way Home directly bringing in (laughs) these other Spider-Men into Tom Holland's universe. And so what were your thoughts on just seeing kind of the developing industry try to catch up and try to just match the style and the lightning in a bottle sort of nature of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and incorporate it into future stories that we will see in the, in the next five years. Yeah, it's so interesting, especially um, that first season of Love, Death, and Robots. You know, the the artist that originated that uh, Into the Spider-Verse feel had a short <laughs> in there. Um, and it's like, you watch it, and I actually watched it after Spider-Verse came out. And you watch it, you're like, wait a second. This feels familiar. And it's it's so interesting how I think branding is important, but he had like already branded his sense of style in other projects before Into the Spider-Verse happens. And and, and you know, you move on to, to after Spider-Verse comes out, and you're like, now you can see, I think, uh, uh, other people try to emulate that. You can see that branding that he instilled in other projects that people are trying. You can see people now experimenting with frame rates. You can now see people experimenting with, like you said, 2D and 3D being in the same movie or you're watching something and something changes. I even see glimpses of of Spider-Verse bleeding into Star Wars Visions, right? Which is literally all these animated studios are like now like, okay, let's, let's try this art style, this art style. It gave people in animators and people permission, I think, to be bold after Into the Spider-Verse happens. And it's so crazy watching it now because as good as some of the, I think the inspiration is, I'm not gonna say they copy and paste it. I think I, I love inspiration. I love influence. As good as as good as good some of those later works are, Puss in Boots is amazing. <laughs> it's a phenomenal movie. In fact, that was one of the best animated things that came out last year, you know what I mean? It looks great, but it's, because it's emulated in or has that influence, it just simply cannot have the impact that Into the Spider-Verse has, which created the influence. And so I, I, I will always enjoy, I think, watching those influence and watching those things. But at the end of the day, it really did, really is Into the Spider-Verse that has created a standard. They now have created something that is uh, uh, almost impossible to, to, to emulate at this point. Imagine when Toy Story comes out. Like you said, it's almost impossible <laughs> to be like to come out with another Toy Story for, since Toy Story had come out like it's really hard for that thing to get made again but Into the Spider-Verse was like okay we got this and they did it and now that is now the industry standard so man it's it's been a crazy thing to watch and now in, in the back of my mind I'm not sure when it'll ever happen again because it's so innovative because this is so new and it's so niche and it's so popular it's it's really hard for me to tell like okay when is the next animation breakthrough going to happen and it's all because into the spider-verse 
not only can the impact not be recreated, but I think also in these projects that we reference, these films that have taken that inspiration, nobody has dove in head first like Into the Spider-Verse did at the time when it was released. Like I still have yet to see another movie come along and mm -hmm. basically the entire movie is replicating that animated style. As much as I love Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, there's only moments that reference that animation right. style that we see in Into the Spider-Verse. It's not the entire movie. Most of it is still traditional computer-generated 3D animation that's become customary for the past 20 years. And I think that Into the Spider-Verse basically gave a kick in the ass to everybody in the in industry to say, like, hey, we can do this differently. We don't have to just keep regurgitating the same style, as beautiful as it may be. Mm -hmm. Pixar, you've perfected this style. DreamWorks, you've done excellent work with this style. But there's still growth and evolution that can occur. But I've still yet to see a project to do it to the level and to the degree that we saw it in Into the Spider-Verse until now with Beyond the Spider-Verse, which we'll get to in a second here. Right. But we should talk about Across the Spider-Verse, the, the newest release, of course, and just the development of that movie. I think once we just saw the impact and the success of Into the Spider-Verse, most of us wanted a sequel. And it's interesting because that first film did respectable business. It wasn't necessarily a box office juggernaut per se. I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that many people didn't suspect that this would be just as quality of a film as it turned out to be, it made about $384 million at the box office, which for a first-time movie out of the gate, even though it's based on the Spider-Man IP, it's a really respectable number, especially considering the movie only cost about $90 million, so it certainly turned a profit. But again, it wasn't like matching what we were seeing out of Pixar movies or DreamWorks animation movies, which would just mm. casually gross maybe $600 million and up mm. in their sleep. But I think that Best Animated Feature Film Academy Award win did a lot for this movie. The release on Netflix to where it was widely available did a mm -hmm. lot for this movie to where people who didn't see it in theaters can go see it. And so I think all of that success started to create the snowball effect, which ultimately resulted in the green lighting of a sequel. Thank goodness. And we found out over the months in the development of this project and throughout the COVID delays and everything that was just occurring that they were going to do something a little bit different. This was not just going to be a second part of a series in which we don't know when it's going to end or what the ultimate outcome is going to be. They decided that they had so much story to tell that they were going to split the movie into two parts. And so we were going to get this version of the film first that was going to come out as, as it did this past weekend. But there was going to be another third conclusive movie that's going to come out about a year after that. We're going to talk about just a decision to split the movie in a second when we get to our in-depth breakdown and things of that nature. But I'm just kind of curious as to how you felt about the idea that they were going to go back and, and tell more story with Miles, especially considering that in that time period, we also saw Miles brought to life in video games. Once again, he was introduced... Yeah in that Spider-Man PS4 game, and then ultimately got his own sort of spin-off video game that launched with the PlayStation 5. And so Miles had become, yeah. almost overnight, kind of a household Spider-Man name. So what did you think about the fact that another movie was going to come and just the fact that it had to live up to those expectations that the first one established? Man, it was still <laughs> almost exci as exciting as it was for Into the Spider-Verse um, coming out, I think. But also, I think what's interesting is late 2018 we also lose stan lee <laughs> and we we know stan lee's favorite was just like spider-man spider-man was his guy um and I, we also know co-creator steve ditko uh as, as well was involved in the creation of spider-man but i i even i even remember um and stan lee's passing there's all these spider memes that's coming out and now miles is becoming part of like those pictures and those memes of like, and Stan Lee is, you know, really the the big message between Into the Spider-Verse, anyone can wear the mask. And I just thought, I, I loved how like the movie was carrying over into Stan Lee's death, may he rest in peace. And it was carrying over into the, to the, the Academy Awards. It was just carrying over 
on what uh, uh, the imprint. I think that Stanley, of course, not only leftover comic books, but leftover Miles Morales specifically. And I thought I think that's a, a, a important point as well, man. But you you telling me a a, a sequel <laughs> is about to come out to one of the most I, now at this point again recently celebrated animated movies that we had we had in recent memory with Into the Spider Verse. And I just, uh, uh, I remember us both being incredibly excited. But to put it in perspective, for those who don't know, our literal first art design for this podcast, Jordan, is Miles. Like, is, you know what I'm saying? Like, we had already cherished Miles Morales in, in, in some form or fashion before the sequel even gets announced. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so, forth, so on and so forth. And then the game comes along. I literally bought a PS5 for Miles Morales. Like, I... Of course, there's other things I wanted to play, right? Final Fantasy VII, whatever other game. I just wanted to future-proof, you know, video games, me having a PlayStation. I literally bought a PS5 <laughs> just to play Miles Morales. And if that doesn't tell you how excited I was uh, that this character was getting more mainstream, was now a playable video. Again, if you told young Dez 10 years ago that I would be able to play a black Spider-Man on a on any kind of console, I wouldn't have believed you because it, it, it wouldn't have made sense at the time. But this is the reality that we're starting to live in. And you're telling me uh, uh, a sequel is about to come out with the same character that had been celebrated for years. Again, my only worry at the time is Into the Spider-Verse is one of my favorite movies. I, 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 I will continue to argue that it's damn near perfect. <laughs> what can they possibly do next? <laughs> What? How can they possibly elevate this thing to the next level? And that is my only worry um, um, before Across the Spider-Verse comes out. But the excitement was there, again, between Into the Spider-Verse, between the movies, between Stanley's passing, between, uh, uh, shoot, No Way Home <laughs> coming out in the in-between time, between all these things, the excitement is just higher than it's ever been. It was it was higher than it was for Into the Spider-Verse. It was higher than, it, than, than, shoot, even it was for me to play Miles Morales on PlayStation. It was just through the roof excitement for this film man so that's kind of i think just the some of the landscape of how how across the spider-verse is like is is about to go down are you telling me it's a two-parter are you telling me i get three black spider-man movies you couldn't tell me nothing bro you could not tell me anything but just uh we're really in in different times and i think we're just blessed to be here to be honest it's it it, it really is great yeah it it only makes sense that the quote-unquote oversaturation of the character over the past few years has just matched the oversaturation of all things that we get now is the oversaturation of streaming television shows, yeah. it's the oversaturation of movies that get released, it's the oversaturation of comic book films. The difference is, is that the vast majority of the Spider-Man shit has been great, like really, really great when you talk about the video games and Fire. you talk about the Tom Holland movies Fire. and this, this series of movies, like they have taken just such extraordinary care of the Spider-Man IP over the past, especially seven to eight to nine years in mm-hmm. particular. And I think that they realize like how valuable Spider-Man really is just to the pop culture conversation and how they have to really make sure that every time they're setting out to tell a Spider-Man story, it needs to be something fire because this is a character that, that is so widely known and has been just a part of our cultural consciousness for decades now at this point that 
well, okay, you have to do something a little bit different. You have to give us a reason as to why to keep coming back. And thankfully, Into the Spider-Verse absolutely checks all those boxes. Yeah. The video game absolutely checks all those boxes because there are more stories to tell. There's obviously hundreds of more Spider-Man out there. And that's a reflection, a healthy reflection, of what we've seen in the comics over the past 10 years or so, too, because they were starting to explore a lot of that new territory and just all the different variations and all the different stories that you can weave into the more traditional aspects of Peter Parker that we've come to know and sort of love over the past six decades or so with this character. But let's transition and shift to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because the movie has come out. Before we get to our official thoughts and review of the movie, we should just talk about the immediate release of the film and how it's performing. As I mentioned earlier, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in 2018 did really, really respectable business. I think absolutely a success considering what it ultimately cost. That movie cost $90 million, made $384 million worldwide. Coming into Across the Spider-Verse, there were a lot of questions in terms of how this movie would perform. I don't think anybody doubted that Across the Spider-Verse would be more successful financially than its predecessor, mm -hmm. just because of all those things we talked about. But it's pretty much surpassing, I think, all expectations that people had for it already within three days. Domestically, it shattered records. It made $120.5 million Jeez. at the domestic box office. It's the second highest debut of 2023, only behind the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's also the sixth biggest opening for an animated movie ever, and the third biggest opening for any Spider-Man movie ever. There have been 10 Spider-Man movies, and this is the third biggest opening ever in the Spider-Man series. And again, when you just compare that to the franchise and to the predecessor before it, that represents a 240% increase hmm. in terms of box office revenue between Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. So it's proving to be an absolute unmitigated success. So many people went to see this. Instead of playing like a animated movie that didn't really have a lot of steam behind it, it's playing like a huge live action superhero blockbuster on the scale of a project from Marvel Studios or a crossover event that we would see out of the MCU. What do you think about these numbers that we've already gotten and just how far do you think this movie will go? I know you picked it mm -hmm. as one of your highest grossing movies you think will ultimately come out of the summer 2023 box office. It seems like it's definitely going to fare out that way, but how far do you think this movie ultimately will go? Man, it's kind of hard to tell because what I, what's so uh, uh, what scares me, I think, about this summer is how crazy everything is. We get Transformers this week. We get Flash the week after that and Elemental and all of these other things that it's so hard for me to tell what kind of legs this movie will have. What I will say is that the word of mouth for this movie is going insane. <laughs> Between the letterbox reviews, um, how much, how often I'm seeing this movie get tweeted about, how uh, even uh, personal word of mouth where I'm hearing like people's mamas is about to go check out this movie. People's aunties is about to go check out this movie. I know people who still haven't taken their kids yet, but they plan to. You know what I mean? And and, and I think this is, uh, uh, I think it will have something. It will have some sort of legs and it will have some some. Uh, um, some form of I think uh, stagnant <laughs> some kind of stagnant nature when it comes to the movie theaters this summer like what if this is just throwing this out there what if a movie like uh, I guess Elemental right isn't doing so well well 
people gonna go just go see Miles Morales. People are gonna go see Across the Spider Verse, and I, I I feel like it has it has um, enough going for it to fit in that way. So again, I'm not a hundred percent. I still feel really good about this movie and the way people are talking about it and. Uh, uh, the numbers that we got this first opening weekend, it still feels really good, but I still have to be a little unsure with the landscape given of how crazy the blockbusters are this summer. So I'm still really hopeful for it, but I, we're going to have to see, man. Though it's a really crowded movie season, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this movie, I think, will have incredible legs. I actually think, if I'm being honest, that Transformers Rise of the Beast, which comes out this weekend, and The Flash and Elemental, both which come out next weekend, I think all three of those movies are going to underperform not necessarily due to the quality of those movies but i just mm -hmm. think that those franchises in particular have not been the healthiest that they could have been mm -hmm. if it were three four five years ago we've seen mm -hmm. pixar struggle over the past couple of years dc the state of transition is really weird even though we're hearing incredible things about the flash and transformers though we're also hearing that this is a good movie it's just not been a hotbed franchise in a really really long time ever since michael bay left if we're just keeping a keeping it a buck and so i think a lot of people are going to go back and see this movie multiple times across the spider-verse word of mouth is going to continue to spread globally is probably where it will struggle a little bit i'm not seeing in the mm. numbers that this is translating as largely on a global scale as it is domestically so i don't think it's necessarily going to do juggernaut box office numbers like the super mario brothers movie right. like i don't think it's gonna reach mm -hmm. those levels but i do think that ultimately when we look at the sheets at the end of it i think it'll make more than elemental i think people are going to choose this as their so animated too. movie to go to over elemental and so i think it's going to do really really well if i had to just like throw out a figure or a range i'm thinking somewhere between seven to seven fifty maybe mm, even eight nice. i think it could get i think it could get pretty high there just based off of what we've seen out of this opening weekend but those next few weeks will certainly be interesting to keep our eyes out for that but folks with all of that out the way with all of that recap done and over with it's now time to transition and talk about this movie in detail and officially open up our review for spider-man across the spider-verse my name is miles morales i'm brooklyn's one and only spider-man and things are going great Oh yeah, you were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. Whatever? So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> it's not funny. Don't, don't do that. Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying to Mira, that's what people see. I gotta go. All right, bye. He's lying to you, and I think you know it. What's up, danger? Miles! Wanna get out of here? Oh! When? So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Uh, who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. Miguel O'Hara. The whole thing was his idea. What's a guy got to do to join this spider team? You can never be part of this. Don't even get me started on Doctor Strange and the little nerd back on Earth 1999-99. Come on, go easy on the kid. He had a terrible teacher. Peter. Miles. Mayday. You have a baby? I have a baby. I'll take it from here. Miles, being Spider-Man is a sacrifice. You have a choice between saving one person and saving every world. Send me home. 
I can't do that. I can do both! Spider-Man, always! Not always. What about Uncle Ben? If not for Uncle Ben, most of us wouldn't be here. Can't stop me now! You can't run forever, kid! I can't lose one more friend. Miguel's isn't what we talked about! You knew? I had no idea what you're doing! Everyone keeps telling me how my story is supposed to go. I'm gonna do my own thing. All stations, stop Spider-Man. You? You want me? And then I looked at my uncle and... Uh, let me guess. He died? Now, this film is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kim Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, and it's written by Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and David Callahan, and it's starring Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Karen Sonai, Karan Sonai, excuse me, Daniel Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac. So, before we dive into this movie, as we usually do, and break down all of the characters, the big moments, the big reveals that came out of Across the Spider-Verse, we're actually going to start and give our non-spoiler thoughts, and so if you haven't seen the movie just yet you are still safe you're still good to listen to these next few minutes but with all of that out the way man i will officially turn it over to you what were your thoughts about spider-man across the spider-verse i think it's almost impossible to put i think in words <laughs> of how this movie has has come out and transcended and you know what it really means to me I don't, i'll attempt to give a review <laughs> but it's like a it's it's just one of those man that you really you really can't put into words what i will say is miles morales has been part of my life for the better part of 10 years i was here since its inception a lot of people were but you didn't know it <laughs> you did not know it uh miles morales is not that old and i was here for the the the, the donald glover for spider-man campaign back in 2010 i remember community season two episode one i was there as well also watching community also being a big fan of donald glover um and and how a lot of that transpired into miles morales number one um that we that we end up getting eventually and man i, I also have to get a quick attribution to lord and miller who they just been killing it for a long time. If, if there should be no surprise anymore about what Lord and Miller can do, man, as as producers and writers on the on, uh, uh, on the films that they that they create, they they really can. But we just gave talked about how Into the Spider Verse came out, tremendous film, uh, still one of the greatest animated superhero films, shoot films in general of all time to me. Um, that's how good the movie is. But man. Across the Spider-Verse has not only, I think, transcended what I imagined this movie could be and would be, it has, I, I think, transcended itself. It has literally taken into the Spider-Verse and everything we loved about that film and turned it up somehow and somehow found a way to for each aspect of that film to make it better from the animation and the cinematography they turned it up. There are moments in this movie where there are watercolors and there's 3D in some parts and there's different animation in other parts that they just said, okay, we can do this. We can take what we did into the Spider-Verse and we can experiment further. And they not only do it, but they do it with such poise and it looks amazing. It's one of the most beautiful movies I low-key have ever seen because of that. And everything was done with intention. And I love that. 
so much cinematography is kind of part of animation but it's still different you still have to move the camera <laughs> in animation a lot of people don't understand that there are frames in this movie that are just so well directed and so well done you can miss the small things but it doesn't take away from the movie and that's so important there are there, there's framing that tells the story there's framing that uh, uh actually makes you feel something whether it's two characters on the screen there's a lot of upside downness happening in this movie sometimes there's a lot of uh, a story being told through the cinematography as well and uh, uh, a lot of people are talking about you know we've been talking about it a lot superhero fatigue and i've been thinking about that like a, a ton right why does this movie work so well and why are these why do both of these movies work so well actually if they're superhero fatigue i'm starting to think it's formula fatigue and not superhero fatigue and i'm, I'm starting to understand that this movie just subverts the formula that i think we're all tired of and we're all accustomed to um the score within this film is crazy I still don't think we're giving this movie enough credit when it comes to the score. The horns that are being used at some of the heights of this movie are insane. A lot of movies don't use horns like this movie uses horns. And I think, you know, like the sequences I'm talking about where you hear horns and you're like, what? This is what we're doing? I absolutely love the score for this film. The soundtrack is amazing. Shout out to Metro Boomin, who he he took care of this film as well. The, the every, every song on the soundtrack, I think, is really good. It fits the movie. It's not as uppity. I think as the first soundtrack was, but this is a more somber movie. And the soundtrack fits that. The soundtrack fits the somberness of the film, man. And last but not least, I have the story is insane. It is taking some of the themes that we know uh, that Spider-Man has went through in different stories, but it's elevating it. The same way that they elevated everything else in this film. This is really uh, uh, talking about commentary on what a black and Latinx Spider-Man, how he fits not only into society, but how he fits into spider society, which is even more important when it comes to this film. How What it means for, the uh, again, the world to be against black and Latinx Spider-Man, what it means for family and community, what that looks like and where you fit in. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, this really is really about a teenager who's dealing with saving the world, love and belonging in the world <laughs> that's really what it is and but being able to tell it i think so 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 colorful in such a colorful way is it's just it's just crazy man given uh the stories of spider-man that we've had before i i even felt like i was like how many more stories of spider-man can we tell we know there's plenty of spiders but miles morales this movie across the spider-verse finds a way to tell a new story with new stakes <laughs> with a new feel with new uh with new dynamics and new layers to it that i couldn't have imagined um and, and I'm, I'm really excited about that um in long story short man in case you couldn't tell this is already one of my favorite movies of 2023 if not it's definitely my favorite movie of 2023 so far. But man, this is a film, I think, for the ages. And I can't wait to, I think, see how this movie uh, uh, goes into the next generation of Spider-Man. It really is, I think, going to be uh, a story to tell with the youth of today and the adults of tomorrow. How they view this film, how they view Miles Morales. And I'm, I, I really can't wait until the next. Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming out. And I can't wait. And that is... Uh, I think a testament to the movie that I think everybody is about to be excited for Beyond the Spider-Verse. But I absolutely love and adore this film. Well, let me uh, go ahead and get right into it. I have quite a bit to say, and I'll first just start off by acknowledging this, that 
I'm absolutely blown away at the audacity of this filmmaking team that's behind this movie to do what they did because you have to have you got to have some balls to say we're going to go after a sequel to one of the most beloved films of the 21st century especially in the world of animation which is really competitive and you really only get a couple of shots to really impress people and it just feels like that the team behind Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse were setting out to make history because you can just feel their desire to want to do more. There's more characters, there's more narrative, there's more universes, there's more animation styles. There's six different universes in this movie. There's 240 characters, according to the filmmakers. And then when you even go behind the scenes, there's an unprecedented amount of people that worked on this movie. There's over 1,000 crew members, artists, technicians, filmmakers, making this the largest team to ever work on an animated movie. And I think when you take all of that and you look at just the product that they ultimately deliver to us, it represents a superhero epic. And we don't get too many epics in general, but then to make it a superhero epic, appropriately so, is just a level of ambition that I really, really love and admire behind this team to just take that chance and to say, we're not going to let that first movie daunt us and work us away from trying to aspire to do more and to go after something greater with the sequel. And that's absolutely what they did. But what I love even more than all of that is the story of this film and the characters that we've grown to know and love over these past five years. Because when you translate the technical prowess of the filmmaking team into the actual narrative perspective of the movie, which is really the hallmark of why these films work so well, I think that this movie is ultimately about a few very important things. One, we see, based on the trailers and of course the movie itself, that this is about a really expansive community of spider people that are all connected by these life-altering events, yet there are still some very key distinct differences among them, and those are super important. But two, when you get even more micro, and when the story gets a little bit smaller and more intimate, this is a story that starts to address these really big existential questions about destiny and purpose and the choices that you make, and how those choices, as admirable as they might be, they will have ramifications for the people around you that you love, possibly even to their own detriment. And you have to reckon with that and you have to be responsible for what that ultimately means. And so when you combine that story and these characters and what they're going through with all the stuff that I mentioned at the top with the behind the scenes, the technical prowess, just the craftsmanship behind this, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse becomes this really profound emotional roller coaster from a visual and narrative perspective unlike anything that I've ever witnessed, really, and anything that I've ever seen. Beyond that, the script for this movie is amazing, which we have mm -hmm. to acknowledge and talk about. Lord and Miller, plus Dave Callahan, who most recently just worked on Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, they inject so much heart and so much depth into this story with these characters. It's just really amazing to see the time spent on developing these characters to make it an emotionally resonant story. You already talked about the music. I do just want to call it out that the music is just next level here. Both individually, the score and the soundtrack are nope. individual pieces <laughs> onto themselves. And I think sometimes people might conflate the two, but those are two distinct great projects from Dan Pemberton, who composed the score, and Metro Boomin, who put together the soundtrack that just paint this beautiful sonic landscape for this franchise and for this film in particular. And the creative visuals, of course, everything that you see in this movie is just overwhelming. Your senses, your auditory, your visual senses are just turned up to an 11. And it's really hard to 
really just take all of it in on the first experience of viewing the movie just because of how much they're throwing at you. But those visuals, those creative inventive sequences that we see, they only work as well as they do because they are emotionally driven by the story and they're motivated by the characters that we're watching. It's not just visual noise. Like this stuff is driven and motivated by character, which is the utmost important thing. So to just close out and wrap all this stuff up, I think Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is a monumental achievement. Somehow it manages to be just as exhilarating, just as emotionally resonant, and just as inventive as the first movie. And both Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse to me represent a completely new method of storytelling that we're witnessing and that we're seeing. One that can't necessarily even be put into words, but it feels like it's a hybrid of cinema, animation, and comics all at the same time. And while watching Across the Spider-Verse, I felt like I was on a different plane of existence. I didn't even know where I was at. I forgot to breathe at certain moments. I felt like I was levitating. It was just such a moving experience that I almost never experienced in the movie theaters. And I just couldn't put it into words once those credits start, started rolling and really forget superhero movies. This is one of the greatest animated movies ever. It's one of the greatest sequels ever. It damn near might be one of the greatest movies ever made. And it certainly may be superior to its predecessor into the Spider-Verse, which is just saying a whole lot because that movie is so groundbreaking. And I think we now have to put this in the same conversation of the sequels that elevate their franchises to an entirely new level that's not seen by most movie franchises. It's, it's similar to The Empire Strikes Back. It's similar to Toy Story 2 or The Dark Knight or Godfather 2. Like it's on that type of level. And this is possibly the best case scenario that you could have for a middle chapter of a trilogy because not only does it call back to the original film and retroactively recontextualizes things that we saw in that movie, but it perfectly sets up the final installment. If we are to assume that is the final entry into this trilogy, mm -hmm. it will be a true trilogy, not just a threequel. This is going to be one long continuous story about Miles Morales. And I think it just reaffirms to me ultimately that the Into the Spider-Verse series is blowing the MCU's multiverse storytelling out of the water. Like it's not even close anymore. They are killing this. And I think that everybody else has to watch and take notes and basically take inspiration as best as they can because the stuff out of the MCU that we've seen has been fine, but what they're doing with these Spider-Verse movies is just on an entirely different level for me. And I think that this type of repeat performance in Hollywood is incredibly rare. It, it, it almost never happens mm -hmm. to get two movies back to back like this that are so extraordinarily great. So we should not be taking this moment for granted. We should be experiencing this and witnessing and understanding that we're witnessing something that I think ultimately is truly special that does not come along that often. So this is an absolutely phenomenal movie. It's outstanding from beginning to finish. And I just can't wait to continue to watch it and have my relationship grow and evolve with the film over the next few years. But with all of that said, with all of that out the way, those are our opening sort of thoughts, non-spoiler thoughts about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and we are going to officially get into spoilers for this movie and break down all the major characters and all the big moments. And so if you have not seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, what are you doing? Go watch that movie. Now. Like, go see it now, right now. Stop this podcast, go watch it, and then you can come back and finish the rest of our conversation later because there is so much to get to, which means we first and foremost have to start off with Miles Morales himself, voiced by Shameik Moore, coming back here 
the titular character essentially in this iteration of films for Spider-Man. And we find Miles in a very, very interesting place in this movie. It's 16 months after the events of Into the Spider-Verse, and we get to kind of see him grow to become a young Spider-Man. He's still in the early days, but he's becoming more confident. He's becoming more comfortable in his own skin as Spider-Man, and we're seeing him develop these relationships. And we're also seeing him still juggle all the responsibilities that he has to continue to uphold as a teenager because he's 15 years old, right? So he's juggling a lot in this movie. But before we dive into more specifics about Miles, what did you think about the character in this movie, where we find him and just sort of those opening moments of just being reintroduced to where he is in his life at this moment? Yeah, I love how we get back into the the center of who Spider-Man is. We get to the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and... That is who, you know, uh, uh, that is, that's what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is him saving people in the neighborhood is him going through his teenage problems, at least while he's a teenager, right? We know there's older <laughs> Peter Parker that we talk about a lot, but in, in, in terms of being a teenager, man, we know he has school to balance, which is very Spider-Man ish. And then he has a, a, um, I guess an obligation to, to, to fight these, these smaller, uh, crimes that he does during the week right spider-man is known for just stopping a robbery on the corner or like stopping a robbery at a bodega or stopping you know or, or, or things of that nature shoot saving cats from trees loki is what spider-man does <laughs> that is the stuff the kind of stuff that he does and i just love that we got back to that not only that but i love how we got to see the growth right uh, they talk about miles morales growth spurt right how he got taller and all of those things but also in some ways you can tell he he is a little bit more mature he does have a little more swag to him than he did um especially because remember the the academy the school he went to um and into the spider-verse he was like a of course he was a smart kid but he didn't exactly have like he hadn't set his his swag in the school yet. <laughs> but now you can tell he's just like the man. You know what I mean? Now you can tell he's, he has his swagger together um, and that he's, he's just going through life the only way that he knows how. And so I, I love where we find him. I love that every every uh, bit about that, man. It's just, it's like, okay, we're back home. And I love how they introduce us that we're back home. Yeah, those low stakes those relatable stakes about spider-man make him so special and make him so resonant with so many people because you just get to see him do those normal quote-unquote things in terms of being heroic in his own neighborhood in his own community there's so many great moments and shots in this montage which by the way i think that this series probably does montages better than anybody like they do an excellent job in terms of catching you up with where the characters have been and also just recapping things that have already happened and it never feels like it's done so in a way that hits you over the head it always feels natural and organic to the story mm -hmm. so i just love seeing him in that place now just juggling all this stuff and being a little bit more confident at it all as well we get to see him just start to exercise that confidence in being spider-man but at the same time he is dealing with something and, and a challenge beyond what he's uh, sort of experiencing with his parents as peter or as miles morales excuse me but just the idea that he's feeling these 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 moments of loneliness these feelings of isolation because all the stuff that happened in into the spider-verse was with a group of people with spider people that were very much like him different of course but had similar backgrounds and experiences in terms of how they came to be spider people mm -hmm. but they're gone they're back in their respective universes we obviously start this movie with gwen we see all the stuff she's going with going through spider ham spider-man noir they're not really anywhere to be found in these opening moments and so miles is just grappling with the idea that he can 
truly be the one and only Spider-Man in Brooklyn. There nobody, there's nobody That's else true. that he can share that experience with. Mm -hmm. And I think the only person that knows he's Spider-Man is Genki, his roommate at, at Visitation mm -hmm. Academy. So he's also struggling with that, which I think is a is another resonant thing that as a teenager feels like a very relatable moment where you're just trying to find your place. You're just trying to find like where you fit in in those coming of age years when you're 13, 14, 15. Like, who's my group of people? And he finally found a group of people and then they got snatched away from them because they had to go back home. And I think it's interesting that we also see that Gwen is experiencing those same moments and same feelings, but they can't even communicate with each other. It's not like they can text each other or, or FaceTime each other. Like they're in completely different universes. And so Miles is going through a lot. And then you take the Spider-Man costume off of him and he's dealing with these wild expectations, these high expectations from his parents, both Jefferson and Rio, who are also going through some very challenging things as well because they're seeing their young boy grow up. They're trying yeah. to steer him down the right path and they have their own expectations of what they want for him, but he's trying to figure out what he wants for himself. So we're seeing those two things sort of butt up against each other. What did you think about just Miles in terms of his standpoint and how he interacted with his parents all throughout this movie? Yeah, it's one. Of, it's a very normal, I think, uh, uh, interaction between him and his parents that we're all, I think, used to. Like you said, they do have these expectations <laughs> on Miles that they, you know, expect him to be able, um, um, I guess, to to see through. Right. I, I, one of the biggest things I think about is is um, in, in in one of the moment moments with the counselor, how Miles got a B in Spanish, and Rio was like. You're literally half Puerto Rican. Like, what are we doing here? Like, how do you possibly get a B in Spanish? It doesn't make any sense. And so it's 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 funny because because Miles is also looking in the face of what it means to like again slightly disappoint your parents a little bit. Again, that's not like a the biggest deal in the world, right? Of course, Rio is upset, but it is like a dang bro. Like you couldn't you couldn't do this thing. And there's so much pressure on Miles though because he still has not. And to him, cannot tell them that he is Spider-Man. So much pressure on him by being able, or by not being able to do that. And so he's literally just going through, you know, all of these things in life. He's having to leave the conference early. He's having to go pick up some cakes, all of these things, because he just won't tell his parents that he's Spider-Man. And I think, I think we've all, like, not necessarily of course been in his shoes where we're like we're spider-man you know what i mean but I've, I'm, we've all been in, in something or have done something or something has happened to us that we just can't tell our parents about <laughs> it's like well i can't tell about this. something happened at school you could have got into a fight you could have i don't know got a bad grade on something something happened in sports it, really anything but i'm sure we can all relate to a moment where we're like oh i want to tell you mom but i simply just can't i just cannot tell you what's happening there and so i i, I find that completely relatable but also i love how it's again it's a normal family dynamic these are things that we just don't get in other stories um and i love that we're able to get that here because that's what makes again spider-man special is his relatability and and i think that's one of the the bigger points of of these stories of into the spider-verse across the spider-verse beyond the spider-verse is wow we relate to the main character in some way you don't have to be black or puerto rican <laughs> you know what i mean but in some ways you can look at miles and be like okay I relate to that specifically, and I love that they continue to play on that throughout the film. Yeah, this film, one of the things that I love about it that's really extraordinary is how it just settles in and rests on certain sequences. Like the parent-teacher evaluation scene 
is a pretty long sequence in the in the context of the movie. It takes a while to just work through that. And I love that. I love that we could just take the time to hear out this conversation and see how it plays out between Miles and then also his parents. See both sides of the perspective. And Miles, we've all been teenagers. We can understand wanting more for yourself, having your own desires and ambitions, and also just trying to reckon with that and how that maybe aligns or not aligns with what your parents want out of you. Because we see Rio is like, I don't even want you to go to New Jersey. That's far. And he's like, it's New Jersey. We're in New York. (laughs) Like, how far is that really? I don't want to be in Brooklyn for the rest of my life. But clearly, Jefferson and Rio, they have a community in Brooklyn. They have a family in Brooklyn. And so they're like, you can do anything you want in Brooklyn. And Miles is like, well, not really. If I want to be Spider-Man, I certainly just can't stay in Brooklyn because there's a much bigger multiverse out there that I've, you know, sort of witnessed, but also just my personal career ambitions, there's stuff outside of Brooklyn that he can explore in terms of the scientific advancements Mm -hmm. and the things that he wants to be involved with. But what I really, really love about that scene in particular at the parent-teacher sort of evaluation that's happening is... For the first like few minutes, they're arguing. Like we just see them like going back and forth, and Miles is trying to make his point, and his parents are not really hearing him out. But then by the end of it, we start agreeing with each other. They start to actually reach sort of a compromise between the conversation that they were having. You start you start to see Jefferson be convinced. His dad is like, Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you can go over to to Princeton. You know, mm-hmm. that sounds like really dope stuff that you want to do, son. Like, maybe that is the way. He looks at Rio and he's trying to like maybe get a sense from her like as to whether or not she agrees. I think she's a little bit more, I don't want to say difficult, but I think she's a little bit more hesitant to be Mm -hmm. agreeable to Miles going off to do those things. But I think by the end of it, we see that there is a little bit more of a comfort level with his parents in terms of what he wants to explore and do. But that all sort of goes out the window when we understand and find out that Rio is starting to suspect that Miles is keeping information from them. Like she's starting to notice, especially from the, the, the parent teacher evaluation that like, He's hiding something. He's he's definitely like not telling us everything that's going on. So we start to see that unravel a little bit. But we, we should also talk about Miles's relationship with Gwen. We're going to, of course, dive into her. But I think from his perspective, Gwen is somebody that he clearly admires and mm-hmm. has had a crush on, hasn't said it verbally out loud, but he's sketching like endless pictures of her in a sketchbook. <laughs> you know, he's drawn her over and over. So he misses her extraordinarily mm-hmm. and he can't reach her. But she does eventually get back to his universe after she joins the spider society from like miles's perspective you know what did you think about just those i guess those butterflies he's experiencing as a, as a young man like this might be his first real crush that he's had especially with somebody who has a lot in common with him at, at, at the end of the day as being another spider person man so at the core right i'm like damn you really in love with this white woman but i think you know like <laughs> I, maybe not by the end of it though i'm like dang you really like this white woman man i don't know how i feel about this but I, I, it's cute. It really is. It is. It is adorable. This is another one of those things that I we we have gotten right in other superhero films. Women and love interests have have been a part of our universes for a while. But this is another one of those examples of like, okay, we get some teenage love that's like it's being put through the ringer. The fact that he continues to think about this girl and draw her and whatever. For the past 16 months is crazy like you really gotta like remember the essence of somebody you know what i mean you really gotta like internalize what you've all what you've been through in order to i think continue to to i think i guess quote unquote lust after her right as much as he has um to this to this point in time but it is cute i do love how it's 
partially a driving force for the story. One of the biggest points of the story that that Gwen makes later on, right, is that in every universe, Peter falls to Gwen, right, and it doesn't, or Gwen falls to Spider Man, and it doesn't always end well. But what I love about it is both Gwen and Spider Man are Spider People. <laughs> I uh, I love that because that you don't get that a lot. You don't get where Gwen in in Spider Man are are both Spider People. And it makes for a different way, I think, to tell the story of how you relate to people, because in in that way, we've never gotten that right. Think about Andrew Garfield and, and, and Emma Stone. <laughs> Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man. Emma Stone wasn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's something she could never relate to. But Gwen could. And that's when it starts to make sense to me while Miles continues to hold on to this girl. Of course, they've been through whatever. He probably thinks she's cute, whatever. But it's like not only that, but he even says at one point, he says, we're the same. And she kind of smiles because that is the the thing that that I think keeps tapping on the, both of their hearts, right? That keeps tapping on both of their shoulders. Is like we're very similar people, and you know, throughout the film, we do see all these other spider people. But when I think about it over and over, I'm like, nobody's really as close to Miles in terms of the way their stories play out. And shoot, even just them being teenagers, a lot of the spider people in this are old. They're like some of the only teenagers that's in this thing. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a couple others. Don't get me wrong, but they can actually relate to each other by being part of by being in high school, by being, you know, uh, in, in that kind of that same community. So I, I, I think it's a cute way to, to kind of um, uh, progress the story. And it's it's a it's, it'll always be a fun thing to keep a story going. It's like, OK, this is the love. But how does this love progress? What does this love feel like and how will it end up? And I think that drives the story, too, is like. Man, Miles and Gwen, y'all got a lot to work out. And by the end of it, you're like, damn, y'all still got a lot to work out. <laughs> so I can't I can't wait to see how it progresses. I think Spider-Man romances in comics and in other media are the best romantic stories really across the board, just because of the the will they won't they nature of those romances. You even get Spider-Man India later in the movie who references mm. that. Like, oh, you can just feel the palpable tension between these two. Like you absolutely <laughs> see it. And I think that that is so much. It's so it, it exists so much between Gwen and Miles because that energy is obviously there, that chemistry is obviously there, and that shared experience that they have that that nobody else can really understand and identify with outside of the other Spider People. That's something that's super special, and and we see Miles, I think, in two distinct moments where he doesn't take a leap, but then he does take a leap, like when they're on top of the Williamsburg Bank Tower. And he's looking to kind of lean in and get closer with her and be a little bit more intimate. Mm -hmm. She kind of, you know, scares him off a little bit and says, like, you know, anytime Gwen falls for Spider-Man, it never ends well. And so he, you know, takes his foot off the gas there. But then just a few moments later, in a different way, when she's going into the multiversal, you know, sort of travel to reunite with the Spider Society and go to Moonbatten, he takes that leap. It's not the same type of leap, but he follows mm -hmm. her. He goes after her because not only has he gotten permission from his mother, who's like, you know, just go after her like you can. I, I can clearly tell you like this girl, but also just internally, he kind of second guesses it. He looks back at the at the skyline, but he's ultimately like, this is my shot. I got to go after her. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's just like a testament to how strongly he feels about her, which is it is a really cute thing, especially because they are so young and they're in this, you know, sort of coming of age era of their lives to try to find themselves and still love themselves and right. come to grips with who they are and then how that ultimately sort of impacts the relationship that they have with each other. We're obviously going to talk about Miles a lot throughout the course of this conversation, so we'll circle back on some of those bigger story beats as we progress, but we should talk about Gwen Stacy, in fact, Spider-Woman in this movie. Certainly had a big presence in the first movie, but I think it was 
absolutely punched up in this movie because we start off this entire experience with her. They give us essentially a 20-minute prologue before the title sequence, <laughs> only focused on Gwen. Like, that's it. We don't see anybody else. We don't see Miles. They make us wait 20 minutes to reunite with Miles, but instead, we focus on Gwen Stacy, and Haley Steinfeld is back here voicing this particular character, and I thought it was absolutely an extraordinary way to start off the movie that subverted expectations and definitely sort of threw me off of my kilter and sort of made me wonder, like, well, wait a second, this is going to be a completely different experience than what we saw in the first one, but I thought it was a, a very welcome surprise. How did you feel about just that whole 20-minute prologue sequence that we got with Gwen Stacy? What a inventive and, I think, tremendous way to start a movie. And I say inventive not because it hasn't been done before where you start with a different character, but because of, I think, how hard <laughs> they go for Gwen Stacy in that first 20 minutes is insane. We kind of talked about this on another podcast, but I said, like, really that first 20 minutes is another movie like it's already like part of a Gwen Stacy film that they're telling in that 20 minutes we get glimpses of what she does in her day-to-day -day, her being part of a band right is where we start in that sequence we get what it looks like for her to be spider Gwen or I guess in this movie uh, spider woman what that looks like we get her Peter Parker and what he has going on how uh uh he is I, I guess the lizard technically right um yeah and how crazy of a moment that is for her and we get her family dynamic specifically with her dad who is yeah we'll talk about him in a second but like i i really love that swing that they take and how hard they go for it because it's not just the 20 minutes where we're like well this is never going to pay off it, it it's probably one of the sequences that pay off the most by the end of the film because everything is is coming into to fruition and wrapping up in this 20 minute sequence we do get uh uh we do get spider-man 2099 and we do get jessica drew as spider-woman and we do get uh uh again glimpses of who spider-gwen really is and her anger and i think that that's another interesting part i think when we start the movie because miles is not known to be an angry kid right versus like gwen is the other side of the teenager in, at some point right where she does she is just mad like she looks like she needs to be going she's probably listening to rock music in her headphones while like mugging in the middle of the street you know what i mean like that kind of angsty teen that's just mad but you can't tell anybody about it and then the story progresses where we're like okay but what is she going to do with that anger or how can we get her somebody to relate to in that way and of course the, the spiders come along with the anomaly in in, in uh in the, the leonardo da vinci version of, of vulture and all those things but i really like how we're just like let's learn about gwen for 20 minutes because she's just, a, just as important in this story as anybody else. And kind of to my point that I was making earlier, I feel like if she wasn't a spider person, we wouldn't be doing this. But because she is a spider person and her being as similar to Miles as she is, we got some things to talk about. And so I just love how we kind of open it in some ways with a, it's almost like a, not a therapy session, but you know what I mean? It's almost like a, all right, Gwen, let it all out, what your problems are. And then we'll we'll talk about it later. And that's kind of what it, it's, it's just it was really refreshing thing to see. Um, and also in that time in, in, the, in, in those opening scenes with Gwen, they they didn't have like when I say they didn't have to go as hard. They went hard on the music. This is when we first start seeing watercolors coming out of the coming out of the screen. The animations are already crazy. I just love how they still took care of it, even though it wasn't about Miles Morales at that time. It was still about a spider. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really thought it was a well done sequence of events when it came to Gwen. Sony also has bigger ambitions to do a Spider-Woman movie focused on Gwen. So what better way to 
shoehorn this story, this particular element of the story into a movie as a jumping off point to what they'll ultimately do in her own animated movie. It's just like what they do with backdoor pilots on TV. So I thought it was a brilliant way to do that, but it also still furthered the story of what we were experiencing here in Across the Spider-Verse because you grow to love and know Gwen even more than what we did in the first Mm -hmm. one because we got a lot of this stuff referenced in Into the Spider-Verse, but we hadn't seen it unfold. And when you see it unfold, it's a completely different experience entirely. When you see her accidentally kill Peter Parker because he's rampaging as the lizard, that becomes much more profound when you see that sadness that comes across her when you can see how devastating that was for her and then you know peter also knew that it was gwen behind the mask and she's like wait what like you knew and that's just like a crazy reveal that he already knew that she was spider woman i love the fact that they the band is named the mary janes a a nod to to peter's other love interest that was like a really really cool moment as you said that music comes in that coil ray song comes in it's just Mm -hmm. like incredible just what they do with the sonic landscape in this opening sequence but then the big moment i think that ultimately sets all the events in motion for this movie is that action sequence in the guggenheim which was just extraordinary i never would have thought to have an action sequence in the guggenheim they obviously weren't really there because it is animation but just the thought the Mm -hmm. idea to say like let's throw a fight scene in in a new york museum oh let's do the guggenheim you know down in in midtown like that's a great place for a backdrop and it also made a ton of sense because you do have like this italian renaissance style vulture which you see that (laughs) animation style you're like wait what the hell is going on and he's speaking french and it's like it's really extraordinary stuff jessica drew comes in and on a motorcycle just looking badass miguel o'hara of course these are two very important spider people that we meet early, but we don't really get reintroduced to until later in the movie when they become much more prominent and we start to understand like their place in this bigger story. But it all leads to probably, I think, maybe the most emotionally important moment for Gwen up in, in her life up until this point, and that's this showdown with her father when he ultimately finds out because she reveals that she is Spider-Woman because her father, Captain Stacy, has been pursuing Spider-Woman this entire time ever since Spider-Woman accidentally killed a lizard. And so the police force have been after her and Gwen and her father, they've not been able to talk about this because she hasn't told them. And in this moment, she decides to reveal to him, I've been doing this all along, dad. And that was a mistake. I didn't mean to kill Peter. You should know this because I'm your daughter. I would never murder somebody. Like I'm, I'm supposed to be a hero. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be out here doing good things. So just try to relate and understand and listen to me in this moment. And he really is reluctant to do so. I mean, he's holding her essentially at gunpoint. He hears her out, but he's also just processing this all at the same time before he ultimately tells her, you have the right to remain silent. He starts reading her her Miranda, Miranda rights. And so we're, we're, we're thinking like he's going to arrest his daughter. Like this is crazy. What were your thoughts on just seeing that unfold, just his reaction to the moment and also just how devastated Gwen was to know that her father was willing to do that? Uh, that's one of the most, I think, devastating lines in the entire movie because I think we're used to unmasking moments being slightly more pleasant in, in those ways, right? Where you're like, okay, I think you might accept me in this moment. You know who I am. <laughs> Hell no, not in Across the Spider-Verse. He said, you have the right to remain silent. And I, hold, I heard the whole theater go, what? <laughs> like, I heard gasp. And it, it was such a, a good experience, I think, being around other people. Because it's like, this dude is serious. Like, we're all in the same boat that this dude is really tripping. You just find out your, 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 your daughter is Spider-Woman and you're about to arrest. Like, it's just a crazy thing, I think, to wrap your head around. And especially... Uh, uh, as that being one of the early moments that we get that knowing this movie is slightly about parenting too (laughs) you know what I mean it's like damn that is that's what we're doing I can't believe that we started that dark in that we're we're 
we're now in a place where Gwen is not even being accepted by her father. And she doesn't necessarily have the, I guess, the the, the privilege that Miles does. I'm even thinking that before Miles pops up in the movie. Because now I'm like, okay, she quit the band. She doesn't have any friends. Her father is trying to arrest her. Who does she have? And it's just, it's 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 a lot going on. It's, it's a great way to, to, I think, enter a film with emotional stakes. You're emotional in that moment because you just simply can't believe it. So uh, I, 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 I thought it was it was good stuff there, but it was dark stuff, too. I was like, oh, this is this is the movie. This is I we're starting dark. And I was I was on board with it. Yeah, I, I think we should just talk about Captain Stacy for a moment, voiced by Shea Wiggum, who, by the way, I think is Loki the perfect actor to voice this character because I could totally see him doing this in live action. Like yeah. he's always like this really, really extraordinary character actor that plays these darker these darker people anytime he takes out a role. And so this made a lot of sense that Shea Wiggum was the voice behind Captain Stacy. But when you just see him and what he's going through emotionally, just trying to process what he found mm. out about his daughter, that just recontextualizes his entire relationship with her because he thought he knew her and he doesn't. And he's also trying to connect with her. I think very much like we see with Miles' parents, he's trying to still have a relationship with his daughter as she's growing up. And that mm. becomes more difficult in those years than in any other years because 15, 16 years old, kids ain't trying to hear that shit they trying to get away from their parents like they don't want to they don't really want to have anything to do with you and so she can't talk to him about her experience as spider-woman she has this very dark cloud hanging over her because of the events with peter parker her accidentally killing him and she also knows that her father is the police captain and his life's work now is to find her that is just a crazy conundrum to be in and so when she makes that choice i mean she's going out on the ultimate leap of faith hoping wanting that he's going to accept her and listen to her and just make make her feel okay about this whole thing and he's just not having it he can't let himself do it at that moment i think it's great that by the end of it they do get there again i think reaching those agreeable points between these characters is super important because while that first moment of him telling her to remain silent you have the right to remain silent emotionally devastating but yeah. then by the end of it, we resolve that and it feels so much more, you know, pleasant to see that happen. But it was just a crazy moment. And I had it for later, but we might as well talk about it here now. You alluded to it, but just the realization of Gwen's world and her universe. Mm. And I think it was this moment in particular when she's facing off with her father that the colors and the creative choices became more poignant than ever because you just see what they were going after with this art style in her world. They wanted to create basically six different art styles for every universe. And Gwen's world is this really impressionistic watercolor style universe. And all the colors change with her mood. It's like a real life 3D mood ring yes. every time she's go through something. What did you think about just how they brought that to life? And especially in this moment, I know you had thoughts just about yes. Gwen's world essentially crumbling around her when she mm -hmm. reveals this information to her father. Yeah, it actually happens two times. And it's probably, I know there's a lot of animated stuff in this, but... I'm not sure this happens in a lot of other mediums at all. And so I, I have to talk about it. But in the moment um, where her dad starts reading her her Miranda rights, the animation and water watercolors start bleeding from the wall. And it's just like raining animation greatness in the background. But then it happens again at the end where she's talking to her dad and they're kind of like semi making up right but Gwen gives this whole speech and it's more colorful at this moment so when, at, the, at the beginning where her dad it's like brown I think right it's more like a brownie brownish color with her dad and at the end though behind Gwen it's like a blue wall 
all kind of blues. And as soon as she starts rambling and giving her speech, the wall starts bleeding again. And it's just, it, it goes with her emotion. It's like, okay, she's giving a speech. She's angry. She's frustrated. Now let's let the animation speak to that as she's talking. It's, 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 it's sensational. It's one of my most favorite animated things I've ever seen. I know it's subtle to some people and I'm sure a lot of people didn't even notice it, but it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. The way that is happening in the way that it is speaking to what is actually happening in the story. It's just 10 out of 10 when it, when it, when it comes to those moments, man, they, they really did that. It's essentially a living, breathing painting come to life writ large on the big screen. It's just really incredible when you can see in the same moment where she feels like her world is crumbling, as you said, the walls are bleeding, everything is melting, it's falling apart mm -hmm. essentially around her. And then I love, as you said, by the end of it, when they do you know, start to become more agreeable and become back on the same page, the colors shift back to these, these pinks, these oranges, these lighter blues, which mm -hmm. kind of represent warmer colors, and I think represent like emotions closer to love and warmth you know we see a lot of those oranges and purples and pinks and anytime like things aren't going well it's browns blacks whites hard hard royal blues that mm -hmm. that feeling of loneliness cold yep. just distance you know all that stuff it was just it was incredible i thought it was just a brilliant choice and it also reflected just like gwen stacy spider gwen comic books like a lot of those art mm. styles were pulled from the comics as well so they took a lot of inspiration it was just really really extraordinary stuff to see Let's keep moving and talk about Miles' parents. I think we could talk about them together. Brian Tyree Henry comes back to voice Jefferson Davis, and also Luna Lauren Velez comes back to voice Rio. We've referenced them early on to, to, to speak to the events with Miles, but they are fully fleshed out characters, so much so that we can totally just look at their vantage point and their perspective on all this stuff. And there's enough to go off of there. There's enough substance with their characters to where you can have a full-fledged conversation about where they are with all of this. You know, again, their son, now in his formative years, trying to figure out his place in life. They also see that this guy is, like, juggling a lot, and he seems a little bit aloof. He doesn't make it to places and appointments on time. He has a lot going on, but they don't really talk about it with him. And they also know that he just lost his Uncle Aaron, too, so that has to be mm -hmm. impacting him in some way. But... I think that they're just trying to process their little boy is finally becoming a man and, and where's their place in all of that on top of the fact that Jefferson is going through a very important life event of his own. He's about to become police captain in about a week. So he's experiencing that. His wife Rio's trying to support him. They're trying to make sure that their son Miles is loved and they're also just trying to steer him in the right direction. So it's a lot going on here. But I think Rio and Jefferson, again, being these fully formed characters, have a lot to bring to the table. And I just loved seeing all those conversations develop with Miles and how much time they really spent on their relationship. What did you think about just everything that they brought to the table in this movie? Man, shout out to parents being parents um, in superhero films. Again, we get a lot of Uncle Aaron's and Aunt May's and, and aunties. We don't get a lot of mom and dads. We know the MCU is like mostly daddy issues. <laughs> and so here we are in 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 in, in uh, Miles Morales' world, and his parents are here, and they are present. And not only that, but it seem, it's, it's a seemingly happy marriage, though, too, right? Like... They know each other so well. They play off each other very well. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I talk about that moment where they're, where they're in the parent-teacher conference and, and Jeff is about to say something. Rio looks at him sideways like, you better not say that. Or you you know what I'm saying? It's just like, damn, where has this been? Where, where are these moments of a superhero's parents just being parents? I really love that. But it does create a weight 
on Miles in some ways to know that his parents are like this, right? I even, I think about like Peter Parker, right? Think about like, even like Toby's Peter Parker, where like, I can't imagine if his parents were around while he's Spider-Man, he wouldn't do certain things. Aunt May is so free. Like, you know what I'm saying? All the Aunt Mays of the world are like, what, Peter? I guess I'll talk to you later. Like, she's not necessarily the most... I'm going to sit here and watch you kind of person in the world. But Miles has that. Miles definitely has this uh, uh, this support system who was looking for him constantly um, in, in, in what he's supposed to do in his life. That's part of the great expectations that we hear from Into the Spider-Verse that carried over into this movie is like, your parents expect certain things from you. And so Rio and Jeff now have a, an opportunity to shape Miles different ways than we've seen other spider people be shaped because he has his parents and a lot of other people don't so i really love that 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 presence that they have here and man they are they're so fun man because they're also like many other parents in the world are just trying to figure it out you know miles is has to talk to to jeff and while he's spider-man right in his deep hello officer i love he in his deep voice to 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 try to I think understand or to try to get into the psyche of his dad that he can't talk to normally. Right. He he's like talking to him as Spider-Man is way different from talking to him as miles. He can ask his father things that he's too scared to ask him as miles. And that's a different dynamic that we're not used to seeing either. And I really love that about it though, uh, because they can, he can make like small breakthroughs and low key manipulate his dad just a little bit, but kind of in the right ways though too to let my to let him know how he's thinking, to let Miles know how he's thinking through Spider Man. I think that's so cool. But and then when it comes to Rio, man, she's like the she really is just like the the mom that kind of understands but doesn't want to, right? Like even the moment where he, she's talking to Jeff and she was like, "We just might have to grow up at least a little bit," you know what I mean? Like she gets everything Miles is saying. But she's just sad about it. That's really all. Like, Jersey? Jersey is far? Like, you're not going to Jersey? I, she, she understands what Miles is saying. Like you said, they're very understanding parents. And by the end of that conference, they, ended, they end up talking <laughs> and ended up being together in those moments. But it's, it's just, it's, 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 I love how she's able to, I think, I think caress Miles in that way. He's, he has arms around him. He has love around him. And I love how they make that very apparent with the way that they're telling the story, including Rio and Jefferson. I first just want to say that I think Brian Tyree Henry is super funny in this movie. He is just so good at comedy. The script and how they play to his sensibilities and just his timing is really, really great. And also Luna Lauren Velez is extraordinary as Rio. I just... I love that this movie, and it doesn't happen often, is taking very well-known actors because they both have super respectable careers. Brian Tyree mm-hmm. Henry, of course, is on a very, very hot streak right now and coming off of Atlanta. Luna Lauren Velez has been active for such a long time, made a very prominent career on New York Undercover, also a Brooklyn native as well, but they're still acting. And I think that that's mm-hmm. important that voice acting is still occurring here. Directors have to direct voice actors too. It doesn't just happen. you know. And I think that we yeah. see... We see that in the delivery of all these lines and how they're communicating to the characters and to each other when they're delivering comedy, when they have to do the dramatic moments, like all of that stuff is super important. So I don't always remember that it's Brian Tyree Henry. I don't always remember that it's Luna, you know, voicing these particular characters. So I just love what they what they bring to the table as voice actors. And what I found interesting with Across the Spider-Verse is that this movie 
leans more into being a movie about Miles and the relationship with his mother, whereas Into the Spider-Verse is yep. more about the relationship with the father. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that Jeff is absent throughout this movie. He's very, very integral. But we see the perspective shift a little bit here in terms of who gets a little bit more focal um, time to spend with Miles in terms of how they communicate and impart these ideas upon him and how that furthers the story. And that was just really, really well done to me because I think I think the mother in this particular phase of his life is super, super integral. Yeah. Like he is now on the precipice of that next step. He's on the precipice of going off to college and becoming a man and be, you know, going out there on his own. And what better time than for a mother to really, really make her presence felt than in this moment. And then there's also like bigger implications for later in the story with the different universes, obviously. But I think that this stuff is just the perfect place for Rio at this particular time to be in Miles's life more so than maybe she was a few years ago when, when Jeff probably took a little bit more of a prominent role. Like he wants to make sure that as a father, his young boy is getting certain lessons that he's going about life in a certain type of way. But now Mm -hmm. the mother, she has to come in with her touch and I just love what they did there. And I think that one of the best scenes in the movie is that rooftop party scene to celebrate the fact that Jeff is going to become police captain in a few short days here. And again, we see Miles trying to juggle everything. You know, he has to pick up the cakes in time for the party, but he has a lot of stuff going on. He accidentally puts the cakes in a taxi cab. He's trying to save people. A guy shoplifts some Nikes and he has to deal with that for a quick second. And he's late, you know, and that ultimately results in this in this confrontational moment between him, Jeff and Rio, where it's like a come to Jesus like, yo, what do you got to tell us? Because obviously you got some stuff going on. What's up? And him and his father, they're going back and forth. They're getting into it. And they're just not seeing eye to eye. And ultimately, that leads to a, a better resolution a few minutes later with Rio and Miles. But how did you feel about just the development of that scene, seeing them start off again in a place that's so contentious, but then by the end of it, we get on some sort of neutral ground and Rio and Miles are finally able to reach a place where it's like, you're, gr- you're going to be grounded for a long time, but for now, we're going to let you do you, and then you'll come back and we'll figure this out later. I love how part one of this was the the parent-teacher conference, right? Where it's like, okay, Miles is juggling a lot, but he made it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he actually made it. Part two of this is like, Miles, bro, you did not make the speech. Not only that, but you brought these cakes that the letters are messed up on the cakes. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not proud. proud. <laughs> I'm not proud. And you like, where have you been the first time it's the, even the, 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 um, the teacher, what's her name? I keep forgetting the teacher's name at the parent teacher conference. Um, but she's like, you know, your son's lying to you. Right. And I know that although Rio was her, her wheels were already spinning. That's like the word she needed to hear to be like, okay, no, but really what is going on with this kid? And when he shows up to the, the rooftop party and he kind of, fails in some ways right on on in, in different he didn't show up on time and, and, and the cakes are messed up she's like all right like we cannot continue to do this and of course his dad who's a little more i guess he can be a little more uh, uh angry right he can be a little more of the the that male authority figure that's like yelling and, and things like that and of course he's going to yell in the middle of the party because now there, there's been a, a threshold has been breached. Like you have been skating on thin ice and now the ice is breaking. You need to tell your parents what is up. And they're frustrated, especially after his dad just gave this heartfelt message, this heartfelt speech of like, well, I don't know where my son is, but I love you, Miles. And I, I'm sure in the back of his head, he didn't end the speech like this. Right. But I'm sure he's like, wherever you are, when you get here, you better tell me where the hell you have been. Because I just know that it was, that's what he was thinking in his head. And then it happens and it just explodes in the middle of the party. And it, I, I, I know things, you know, like that 
um, probably happen in real life. But, you know, Miles can only hide this thing for so long, right? He can only not tell his parents for so long and what that looks like. But then, you know, uh, uh, of course he's grounded. But you move on to Rio, man. And Rio, again, is different from Jefferson where she can actually talk to him, right? Where she can actually level with him. And and even even in that moment, Miles is like, I can hear you being silent, Mom, or whatever he says, right? Where he's like, I feel my mother's presence. I know you're back there. Uh, hope I didn't ice your game and all of those things. But I love that they have different forms of parenting. <laughs> and I think that's a really cool thing that we can see that so so obviously and blatantly in a movie like this. Like, again, I, at this point in the movie, I still can't believe we're watching a superhero film. Does that make sense? Because it's so family oriented and we're just like looking at a mom and dad with a son who be hiding secrets <laughs> it has nothing to do with technically being like this super crazy concept at the time and so i i, I think that stuff is really cool uh but man rio is able to to talk to him and although gwen calls him calls her by her first name <laughs> she she she's like like you said you, you already said it but it's very obvious that she really likes this kid or uh that she really likes this kid that um Miles really likes Gwen and she's like well in some ways she kind of lets go and it kind of happens fast to me though too right where like initially I'm like she won't even let him go to Jersey but I'm like dang you about to let him leave this party right now to go get Gwen it's kind of surprising but that's Rio that's her personality so again I I really love what, what they were doing here man but that party that party turned up but for all the I think all the right reasons which foreshadows the rest of the movie so I love it. And I think that's the thing about his parents. They're not unreasonable people. They listen. They actually take advice. They listen to Miles. They reflect on their own decisions and they have a conversation about it and say like, well, maybe we were too hard. Maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe we need to, you know, actually hear him out and just try to like create the space and the opportunity for him to tell us what he wants to tell him. Like even after the party, they go to his room and he's nowhere to be found because he goes off with Gwen and he's swinging around the city and you you see Jeff get pissed. He's like, that's three months because he was willing to put himself out there and hear what Miles had to say. And even earlier, you were talking about just the conversations between Miles and Spider-Man under the mask talking to Jeff as the police captain because now mm -hmm. they work together and they have a relationship, which is dope to see. They didn't really harp on that too much, but you can see like that they work together often and they, they do have a relationship and Miles is talking to him as Spider-Man, and Jeff is kind of listening. He's trying to hear him out. Miles is over there, you know, putting on that deep voice, as an objective observer with no skin in the game. <laughs> he does all these, you know, over-the-top, really animated, you know, sort of uh, uh, visual cues to make sure that he doesn't, you know, know that who he is. But I think um, I think that, that those are those moments where we see Jeff, like, just trying to soak that in and, and maybe think, like, okay, I could, I could probably let my son spread his wings. And they do that moment where he spreads his wings. And so I, I love that they come back to the table and they don't just definitively make a decision and they never talk about it again. They always talk about it. Maybe maybe we need to have a conversation with Miles. And so that stuff that boils over at the rooftop party is it's just really, really important because that kind of sends Miles over the edge. But just right when you think it's going to be something that ends sort of badly, they reel it back in with Rio again because she's not unreasonable. She's mm -hmm. like, you know what? I've met this Gwen girl, even though she might be a little bit disrespectful with the name stu stuff. I I'll let you go and have your fun for now and we can address this bigger stuff, you know, when the time is appropriate and when the time is right. And I, I just love all that stuff because they don't have to put this in the movie. Like, they don't have to do this. Exactly. They don't have to spend time on this. They could have just made another action sequence but no they're like we're, we're gonna spend time with these people we're gonna know who they are what makes them tick and why they are the way that they are so just incredible stuff 
Um, we should move on and talk about the spot, the main villain of this huh. movie, who um, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, who would have thought that the spot would appear in a theatrically released Spider-Man movie? But here we are, one of the lower tier villains of, of Spider-Man lore and mythos, probably a C or D list level character, mm-hmm. made his way into this very prominent theatrical blockbuster film as the main antagonist and is going to continue to be the main antagonist into the third installment beyond the Spider-Verse when it drops next year. Uh, before we talk about specifics, man, the spot, again, just a low level character has been around for a while in the comics. I think he made his debut in the mid eighties, but not necessarily somebody that you would think of when you think of Spider-Man villains in his rogues gallery. When you think about Doc Ock or Venom or Vulture, you know, those more prominent characters, the spot is like 36th on the list of who you would pick out because he's probably just utilized for a villain of the week or a villain of the episode which they obviously alluded to throughout this movie but what did you think about the character sort of being brought to life here and also just jason schwartzman being the person to come in and and voice this particular iteration of the character it's it's so interesting because the comic book version of spot is he looks kind of cooler like he looks like a I don't know. He, he has this, 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 I think, intimidation about him where you're like, what is going on with this guy? You know what I mean? He has a little bit, some of those, some of those, uh, that rougher look to him versus in, in this movie, they definitely make him look a little silly at first, right? And I love that. I love how they make him look silly at the beginning of the film where, again, at, at first you really think this dude is, 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 uh, villain of the week. But it's, it's crazy because in the comics, that is kind of, what you feel like like you're like mm-hmm. what is this guy like what is he really doing um but i also love the idea of i think changing rogues galleries is really cool especially if you can dig through somebody's rogues gallery and make them cooler than what they used to be um we, we could see james gunn trying to do that right with suicide squad he definitely was trying to do that but like polka dot man is way different <laughs> than i would have ever imagined or ray catcher at that they're just i look at them different than you would have in, in, in the comics. And now, you know, this movie is kind of, I think, doing the same thing with Spot. But I never would have imagined that they would have be using Spot in this way, especially this isn't a Miles Morales rogues gallery guy. This is very, this is, this is used to be a Peter Parker, Spider-Man kind of guy. So I love how they, they kind of made, I think, their transition to make him um, into what they made him in this movie. It's, it's, it's again, initially you're like, okay, what are they doing? You, this definitely has to be a villain of the week. But I love how they they change it's subvert expectations in this way with this character and you're like oh by the end of it you're like oh my bad bro <laughs> i did not mean uh uh to to undermine you in that way yeah so pretty cool idea whoever came up with it, it's crazy but it's it's it's, it's it uh, turns out to be really cool by the end of it i'll tell you so they did not initially intend to include the spot in this movie because who would who's gonna say like the spot is the villain that's it we have our next two movies nobody's doing that but Interestingly enough, Avi Arad, who's been over at Sony for a long time and produced pretty much all these Spider-Man movies, he pitched the spot to Mm -hmm. Lord Miller to say like, hey, not only is he visually interesting, but also for the story that we're telling in terms of multiverse stuff, he's kind of perfect. Maybe we should think about including him as like the next villain. And that's where the idea came from to make spot the main antagonist over the course of these next two movies, which you got to applaud him for that decision because to your point, I agree, this is a great opportunity and perfect for the storytelling and the narrative to make somebody very prominent and and resonant with just everything that they're trying to tackle Mm -hmm. thematically throughout this movie. So just an incredible choice there. And and just the way that he's brought to life visually is just so cool and so different than anything Mm -hmm. else that we've seen in these movies, because 
later on when he becomes like this really kind of grotesque figure, they're implementing a lot of that pencil hand drawn style, that black and white, which becomes right. just really horrific and scary mm-hmm. to a lot of respects. And, and earlier in the film, you just don't see that because he's just clumsy. He's all over the place. He's inside the bodega trying to rob an ATM. He doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't <laughs> learned his powers, kicking himself in the ass. There's bread <laughs> loaves dropping out of his stomach. It's just so many funny gags yeah. that it's like, this guy's a joke. And I think if you mm-hmm. didn't even research this movie, and if you only saw the trailer, you'd probably think there's no way he's the main villain. Like he's gonna be, he's gonna be dealt with in five minutes. Here, he's just a foil for Malice to prevent him from getting to the to the meeting on time. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's not the case. This guy is super fucking dangerous and has a lot on the line, and actually has ties to Miles. We see that he has a relationship with Miles because Miles was responsible for creating him, which retroactively makes Into the Spider Verse all the more important because he's one of the scientists. That was responsible for bringing the spider from Earth 42 into Miles's universe that ultimately bit him. And Miles, you know, had that interaction with them at the at the Doc Ock headquarters in that movie and threw a bagel at him, which was crazy. <laughs> and that that ultimately resulted in the whole sequence at the end of the film where he gets he gets trapped in the um, in the machine in the device mm-hmm. that ultimately just creates this interdimensional being and makes him more powerful than ever. But I just love how he's discovering those powers and you can't really tell what yeah. he's doing but then once he gets the the collider and he gets that information he understands like oh i could be capable of a lot more but it's all started by the fact that he kicks himself in the ass he kicked like himself in the ass it's not until that moment when he's fighting miles and jeff at the same time that he realizes <laughs> like wait a second i have the ability to travel multiverses to travel to different universes and you get that guy the construction worker on the side who's like Hey, stop talking about your holes. It's making us uncomfortable over here. (laughs) Real funny stuff. Real New Yorker shit. But I think that that's a great place to talk about the different universes and the different multiverses that we explore in this movie. We knew coming into this specifically that they wanted to explore at least six different universes. We technically kind of got more than that, but I think that there's six main ones. We got Earth 1610, of course, which is Miles Morales' universe, which firmly takes place in Brooklyn. We saw Gwen's and talked about her universe earlier, which is Earth 65. There's also Earth 50101 Moonbatten, which I know we're going to get to in depth and detail in, in a second here when we talk about Spider-Man India. Of course, there's Nueva York, which is Earth 928. That's where Spider-Man 2099 resides. There's Earth 42, which we find out at the end of the movie, has no Spider-Man in it. And then there's a couple of surprises here when the spot reveals what his powers are and he's going across these different universes. We get an appearance of the Venomverse because of Mrs. Chin. And we also get the Legoverse, which is just like thrown in this movie as a as a nice moment, which I think simultaneously is alluding to all the different universes, but also like Lord Miller. They're the producers and the directors behind the Lego movie. So Mm -hmm. just a great nod to them. What do you think about just all these different worlds that we explored and how they brought them to life throughout the course of the film? Man, what a a cool... I love how fast they do it, too, right? Like, I feel like in this movie, we were spending time on the right amount of time and the right amount of things. And I feel like I love how we're going universe to universe, but it's happening fast. It's like, oh, here's Mr. Chin real quick. And everyone's like, oh, I love how we didn't have to sit there for that long. Like, that was good. We talked with Mrs. Chin small easter eggs in there i'm pretty sure the gum spot grabbed had like venom something on it or like, like Eddie venom, Brock, mint. venom mint or yeah or something on it I, I love those those small tidbits and the lego verse is just really cool like it's something we hadn't seen and when you think of the lord and miller of it all it's like y'all didn't have to do this but i love that y'all did because of course there'd be a lego spider-man who would predict that who would predict that J. jonah jameson is again <laughs> the voice of, of uh uh or uh 
man, I'm getting, getting my words. Oh, stuff. J.K. Ooh, Simmons. Yeah. J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons is the voice of Joe, J. Jonah Jameson in that universe as well. I, I really like that man. It, I, they even used the clip from an early Spider-Man movie, right in that in that um, in that moment, yeah. which it's just all cool stuff that like. I don't know. I feel like they had to sit there and think about it. Like, oh, okay, what universe <laughs> are we going to put here now? And they were like, we got to go to the Lego verse. Everyone was probably like, hell yeah, let's do it. And then, <laughs> and then you just end up in the Lego verse, man. It's funny how how demolished it ends up. And then how like uh, uh, you see Peter Parker looking through the window. It's just a funny moment that you just don't expect to happen in the movie, man. And I, I, I thought it was well done again because they spend the right amount of time. But it's also like the right choices I think they were making too. I actually love that they used Mrs. Chan here, right? And in the of the in the venom of it all. I actually love that they went to the Lego verse and, and, and all of that. And now we find out that Lego Peter Parker is one of the best soldiers <laughs> that that Miguel O'Hara has out here. Thanks, and, Peter. You're one of thanks. the best of us. <laughs> That's one of the funniest Just, lines in the movie, so bro. So funny, bro. It really is. Cause what like how did he even crazy man it, it, it really is crazy. he actually pops up later on too he's like on the rc car he's actually like sitting on the rc car when all the other spider-man hop in the in, in peter park he like hops in too uh he, he shows up but man just I, I thought it was pretty well done um and it made sense with what the character was doing he's like what is going on here so yeah i i, I think they handled it pretty well J. Jonah Jameson might might be a Nexus being. He's he's the same the same voice, the same individual essentially in every universe. Just you know, a few minor tweaks here and there. I think it's like now officially at least three universes, maybe even four, where it's all voiced by J.K. Simmons. It's it's of course the Tobey Maguire movies. Yeah. Spider Man No Way Home is technically a different version of the character. He's more of a conspiracy theorist. It's this Lego version. But I feel like we heard his. We heard him again in Earth 42 at the end of the Earth movie. Earth 42, too. Yep. Yeah, when he's talking about the, the Sinister Six cartel. He's, uh, so. he's in Gwen's universe, too. Oh, shoot. So he's even there. So it's just like J.K. Simmons, which I'm, I'm totally on board with. Like there, There's probably no more brilliant casting ever in superhero history <laughs> than J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. So just really great stuff to just see them visit all these different universes and just the scale of it and, and, and just the, the, the ambition behind it to say, like, we're going to create all these worlds and we're going to make it seem like that six different artists drew these six different worlds because mm-hmm. none of them are going to be alike. They're all going to be distinguishable from each other. So it's just a great, great choice in their in their in their own part. And I, I think the spot, you know, being that one person really that can just like seamlessly navigate between all these different universes again, that just makes him super, super dangerous because we now know that the purpose of him doing that is to find Alchemax in these different universes so that he can find the Collider, which gave him his powers to begin with, so that he can just give himself more power essentially make him more powerful more destructive and so that becomes a very very imminent threat all throughout this movie so just a great great introduction to his character and just a use of how he can get to these different multiverses uh that that, that brings us to a litany of spider people that are introduced in this movie just many many more spider characters that we see throughout the course of this movie and we should start and talk about Spider-Man India, because by the time we get to the middle of the film, we go to Mumbatan, which is an entirely different universe, and we get to meet Pravitter Prabhakar, um, who is Spider-Man India, and we get a nice, cool montage of him and how he's been Spider-Man for six months, and it's great because it's so early that he thinks it's the easiest job in the world, so it's still like <laughs> it's still like the honeymoon stage of being Spider-Man for him, and you just get all these really funny moments of him and this charisma that Pravitter has as Spider-Man, and you get this nice creative 
combination of New York, Manhattan, and Mumbai, India, two of the the biggest cities in the world that are just melded together. And he's the one Spider-Man of that universe. I just thought that that was a really cool concept. Of course, there's, again, comics influence, but just the way that they brought that to life in this film and how, again, it informed the story of everything we were going to see was just a really, really bold and creative choice. Yeah, I think the original, it was a limited series for for Spider-Man India. And it was just Mumbai. Like, it wasn't like Mumbai (laughs) that we get here. So I, I really love that decision. For them to to kind of put the two together, because even it's like all kind of maps and stuff where you're like, oh, man, they really paid attention to detail to make this guy who he is. But I also love how Spider-Man India is like the least depressed Spider-Man of all time. Like I've never seen a more happier <laughs> Spider-Man in my life. I mean, he has it all together. He said he barely does anything to his hair. He only uses coconut oil. He has his his girlfriend, <laughs> who apparently is the, the cutest thing in the world to him. He has he just has no worries. He's, he's Naturally saves. buff, doesn't work Naturally out. Naturally buff, doesn't work out, but he doesn't work out so he doesn't get too buff, right? He doesn't want to get too big. You're like, bro, what is going on with you, dude? You are really like this happy person. Um, also love, this is very small thing right but when we first see miles fighting the spot he's like why do you say atm machine because the m stands for machine but then later in the movie uh, uh spider-man india is like or miles says i love chai tea and he, he, he's like what did you just say chai chai means tea you're saying tt and i just love how like i don't know it almost folded into itself like miles was just talking crap about this other dude and then he does it in a different universe and then spider-man india gets to talk about it too man but i really love what they did with Spider-Man. And it looks gorgeous, by the way. Moonbatten looks amazing. It's another one of those styles that's like, damn, y'all really did this. Like, it looks different than any of the other universes. And this is this is where we end up. Uh, man, it was, it was just pretty cool to see, man. And I love I love how, again, how I think charismatic Spider-Man India is. And it, 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 he, he definitely set himself apart from the other Spider-People. So I thought that was cool, too. It injects a, a lot of energy into the movie because he becomes almost instantly like one of the quippiest spider people out of everybody. He's just talking so fast, mm-hmm. giving you so much information. As you said, we learn a lot about him and just how he takes care of himself and he goes to school and he doesn't try. He doesn't really try, but he, he makes an effort anyway just to you know make sure that he's participating. The guy's just living the dream as Spider-Man right now and just helping out all these random citizens of Moonbatten. And he's just saying so many funny things. Again, the script here is just like really punched up. There's that moment where he's like, this is where the traffic is, and this is where the traffic is, and this is also where the traffic is, and this is where the British stole all our history. It's just like great, great lines like that, just like fire stuff, and his costume too is incredible. I just love the way he looks. I love the Mm -hmm. fact that he's using a bangle as like the webbing device to thwip across the city. And then as you said, just the whole art style of his universe, it, it kind of looks like a, a, a Mumbai Manhattan inspired Bollywood almost it's like mm-hmm. it's like resembling like comic books you know of, of India from the 70s I saw that they took a lot of inspiration from so again completely unique completely original and just the fact that they can have this really cool action sequence too where Miles Gwen and Pravitter are working together was also really dope because they're trying to fight spot all throughout Mumbai, which is a super busy city Spot is just like going all over the place trying to find Alchemax, and he's also popping up in random restaurants trying to like ask people like, "Yeah, you know where Alchemax <laughs> is? Do you know where the collider is?" And then he tastes like the food, and it's it's mad spicy, and he starts choking on it. So it's so much chaos and and, and many things going on. But I just love that 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 kinetic energy of this world because if you put Mumbai and Manhattan together, it'd probably be, be the Nuts. craziest place on earth. It would be it would be ridiculous. Like. 
I can barely survive in New York right now. To think that you would add Mumbai on top of that would be just no. batshit crazy. <laughs> so it was really, really dope stuff to see. And 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 Pravitter, again, another charismatic Spider person that 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 joins the team ultimately. But that leads us to the next one that we meet very shortly thereafter, just a few minutes later. Again, as they are battling the spot. They ultimately do reach Alchemax, and the spot finds the Collider device, but right before he's able to sort of take the power from the Collider and give it to himself, we get the introduction of Hobie Brown, aka Spider-Punk in this movie, voiced by Academy Award winning actor Daniel Kaluuya. Spider-Punk, again, pulled directly from the comics, but they are doing a lot of different new and unique things for the character in this movie, um, but very much the anarchist. He's the disruptor, he's this punk rock inspired Spider-Man, and again, just completely throws the energy of the movie into a different a different gear entirely like just when we were getting used to spider-man india spider-punk comes in and it's like wait what a second like <laughs> how are we here now like what what is this guy how am i to feel about him because he feels a little antagonistic to begin with but mm-hmm. then he grows to be more of an ally so what did you think about just daniel kaluuya voicing the character and just also the fact that like spider-punk is on the big screen now like we have a spider-punk <laughs> yeah. in a real movie these days what did you think about that man shout out to daniel kaluuya man who is just everything the dude touches is just a banger it's kind of crazy when you think about it he's just one of those guys when he works he works man and i love how he's uh doing new things too um his accent in this movie was very thick you know we don't get to hear him in his british accent you know that often and so i loved being able to to i guess hear him in, in this way he also did an interview i forgot for what uh, British, just like a British radio show or podcast or something like that. But he did an interview, and I just love how he was—he was, he was kind of talking about how um, how different of a of a dynamic it is for him of having to voice act, right? Because it's an, again, it's one of those things you're not looking at other actors, and you're not in the middle of a scene. You have to give your all without. T- really looking at anything except the script that's really all you have and so you're able to try different things and do different things because of that though too and how that made uh how that again that portrayal kind of of, of hobie how that molded it um and so i thought that was a cool little interview as well but man it's crazy we got spider punk on the screen bruh the way this cat is animated is 10 out of 10 because it's not even like it's not for no reason, though, too, right? Like, we know, all right, we, we know it took, what, two to three years for them to animate this Long kid, right? Time. And there's mm-hmm. different parts of him that are animated in different frame rates. But it's for a reason. You just said it. This dude is the revolutionary. He is the He's the disruptor. He is Spider-Punk to a T. And that's part of his animation style, though, is like, I don't give a fuck what's going on in your universe. I'm going to be whatever the hell I want to be in mine. And, and, and just watching the way he moves and the way he changes like the moment they're in the elevator and he takes his mask off he's in like black and white you know what i'm saying he's in like a sepia very discolored desaturated but when he first pulls up he's the loudest thing on the screen i mean it is squares and rectangles bouncing off of everything and lightning bolts and he he's definitely punk rock it's just really cool man and i love how he has a very specific personality that has to deal with that how he's saying he hates everything he had to the am the pm which is a double entendre i'm pretty sure for the pm of time and the prime minister and then like it's just really cool uh that that way in which they made this character man and, and they made him so dynamic and again attention to detail of making these spider people different from each other is so important and so cool but i love i will always love the revolutionary in the story and that's and that and that's hobie man that is uh, that's who spider punk is at his core and everything about him says that that's what i loved 
I really do love that. It's one thing to just have a character like that, but for his animation to speak to his character, man, I I don't know how many times that's happened, but they they really killed Spider Punk, man. I'm I'm happy he's here. This is one of probably a dozen moments in this movie where I was sitting there watching Spider Punk and I said to myself, how in the hell did they do this? Like, how did they pull this off? I don't even know how they made this. And like you said, two to three years for one character. That is crazy. That's wild that they spent that much time to perfect the look of him. And they even replicated the look of 70s punk rock inspired albums that Mm -hmm. that gave you this really weird off color damaged xerox looking feel and and aesthetic that that just looked like it was disrupting the status quo and what you were used to as you said it speaks so much to who he is and then you bring in daniel kaluuya as the voice actor (laughs) to the character it's like oh we're just fucking cooking with grease now because Mm -hmm. who better for a guy who is absolutely 1000 percent british and can speak to that and feels like a revolutionary to himself in real life like he feels like he would have that same type of energy absolutely so it's just like a it's just like a handmade glove that's like perfectly crafted and created for daniel kalu to come in and he has so many great lines he's so funny he's mm-hmm. so serious at times he's like i don't believe in consistency i don't believe in comedy just kidding like he's just having all these different moments and even when like the world is collapsing when Mumbatten is collapsing on top of itself after they save the captain He's like, it's a metaphor for capitalism. It's like, what, bro? Like, what are you talking about? It's literally the universe collapsed. It's not a metaphor. But, you know, he's just like, he's bullshit now at this point. He's just having fun. But I just love how they also switch his demeanor somewhat and Mm -hmm. our perception of him. Because, again, when you see him first pop up, because we've heard his name dropped before this moment when he appears. We hear Gwen talk about Hobie when she's swinging with Miles throughout New York City she references him and he's like who's hobie and you like you stayed over you stayed over his place like what's that about and she doesn't she doesn't speak more to it and then even spider-man india talks about hobie and names drops his you know who he is while they're fighting the spot and then we finally see him and it's like oh bro you're the one that stole gwen from miles like that's (laughs) that's who you are you're that guy Mm -hmm. but i love that by the end of it he's not really that guy he's actually an ally to miles he actually finds himself on the same side as Miles because we'll talk about Spider-Man 2099 a lot here in a second, but I think that Hobie is in direct opposition to everything that Miguel believes in. Like, Miguel believes in that order. He believes in keeping things together. He believes Mm -hmm. in the status quo and maintaining that to to the best of his ability. He's like the protector of the multiverse. Hobie's like, fuck that. I don't care about any of that noise. Like, it is what it is. Like, we're going to we're gonna move how we move, you know, and that's essentially his whole demeanor. So what did you think about just that transition and, and how he, you know, sort of our perception of him, again, was just, like, different than where it ended off compared to where it started? Yeah, it's, it's I also want to make note that, like, right before the scene, right, we get we get Miles chasing Gwen, um, which is so important to me because it's so, again, that's metaphorical where he's purposely behind Gwen on this, like, whipping through the city moment and i love how it's like okay i'm chasing this girl that is literally what i'm doing and we have the whole invisible moment where gwen is trying to figure out what the spot was just doing with the past technology or whatever and then you start to hear about hobie after that constantly and you're like is my boy chasing this girl who might have another guy you know what i mean it's like what is going on here like we only got here because my boy was in love now there might be another person involved and like you said even how cool he pops up there's still something in you is like bro like i don't know if i'm supposed to root for you spider punk like i don't know how i'm supposed to feel not only is gwen wearing your chucks 
you just told me there's a toothbrush being kept at Hobie's crib and Gwen has even admitted that she'd be over there a lot. Oh my god. Red gosh. flag. Flag on the fucking play. That's it oh right there. The toothbrush was it. The toothbrush is it, man. What are we doing? What's happening? And so again, it's just this really cool, really cool guy. And I think everyone in the theater, everyone watching this is like, damn, this dude is cool. But he might be messing with Miles. You know what I'm saying? Like, God damn it. Damn it, <laughs> I like you, but you I fucking like my you. girl right now, bro. What's messing, going on? What is going on? Miles felt the same way. He's like, how are you even cooler under the mask, bro? And so I I it's again, it's it's it, it may seem minute in the grand scheme of things, but it's genius for them to make us feel like that. For for us for for us to make it feel like like, dude, I don't know I'm supposed to be with you hundred percent in this moment. But I love as soon as you meet him, he's being nice. Hobie, you have no reason to hate him beyond the the Gwen stuff. You know what I'm saying? You're like, this dude just taught Miles how to use his whole palm. This dude, uh, when we meet Mayday, which we'll talk about soon, but when we meet Mayday, he's calling Mayday an anarchist and like, good for you for he doesn't say in these words but for shitting on the uh on the establishment and things like that you're like man this dude is pretty cool um and and, and again eventually still helps miles get out of the funk um at the end of the day and so yeah man and then he quits (laughs) right after so i just i just think it's a really cool transition for them to like kind of play with our emotions when it comes to, to to hobie brown man it just it worked really well and i think i i think they know what they were doing man yeah, he's one of the few where you never really know which way he's leaning because he is such an unpredictable character, but he's just too he's too cool to hate. He's too fucking cool to have any sort of disrespect or 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 hater vibes against him just because of like how dope he is. And he even looks dope. It's like, yo, bro, like you're like the best looking Spider-Man here. Like, what did they do to you? They purposely made you that way so that nobody could hate you. And then you add on the fact that and I, I hope we explore this more in the future with this character if we do see more of him, likely will. In the comics, Spider-Punk lives up to that idea of being a revolutionary and, and an anarchist. Like a lot of his a lot of his origin is about working with marginalized and downtrodden people to fight against the establishment. Like that's mm-hmm. a lot of his backstory is being that guy who walks the fucking walk. He doesn't just say this stuff. He's not just like a symbol for it. He actually does that. Like there's even the moment in the movie where he's like, I don't call myself a hero because anybody that calls himself a hero is whatever. You know, he just drops all that stuff. You know, he's just very much against these establishments and the system, but he he lives that life. He's he's definitely about that. So I hope we get to even see more of that stuff because they certainly alluded to many, many of those things here and him even being a part of the spider society. You can tell he's just not for that. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Miles, you don't need this stuff. Like make your own watch. You don't need a watch. Like just don't, just make your own watch. Like you can do whatever you want to do you don't need these people to tell you who you are and why you're important so gave him a lot of good advice a lot of just i think strong wisdom that miles needed in the in 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 the most dire of moments really Mm -hmm. when when he's going through all that stuff at spider society but before we get to that part we should transition and talk about jessica drew another spider woman who's voiced by Issa ray which we found out a couple of years ago i remember she's one of she was one of the first big casting announcements outside of like the returning cast she was one of the big people that we first found out about that she was going to come in and, and play spider woman and she certainly does and jessica drew is just coming here with so much energy we meet her earlier in the movie in the guggenheim sequence but we see her again pop up in moon batten with the rest of the spider society to try to fix moon batten from collapsing on itself having an incursion but she's a mom, an, an, an upcoming mom. She's pregnant. She rides a motorcycle. She's married. She doesn't wear a mask. So she also is very different than a lot of the other spider people that we meet. And she's a black woman, right? There's not really yeah. many black 
or people of color that are spider people. And so she's checking all sorts of different boxes and doing all sorts of different things that are, you know, sort of just going against the norm of what we're accustomed to seeing with spider woman or spider people in general. So what did you think about what Issa Rae brought to the role specifically and just also the character, again, coming to life and them doing so many different things and, and incorporating so many new elements and styles to who she was in this movie? You know, Issa Rae is one of those people who, she has a distinct voice, but like it will always work for no matter what she's doing, even though she's like voice acting. Because when she begins talking, when she first meets Gwen, I'm like, damn, that's Issa Rae very clearly. But I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Sometimes she's like, oh, you're out of place. But it's like, she wasn't out of place. She very much felt like she was just embodying a black spider woman. <laughs> and I really love that about her, man. Um, and I love, man, I love the glasses. So this is this is probably, uh, I mean, such a reach, right? But as a spider person, they all wear masks. That's just a thing that they do. They all wear masks and I tell their identity. You telling me this woman is wearing sunglasses and don't nobody in her universe know who she is? But I think there's a reason for that, though. And I, Again, this is probably, I'm reaching like shit right now. But I think it's because people don't pay attention to black women the way they should. And so I think she's able to get away with wearing these glasses because that's all it takes for a black woman to kind of be quote unquote invisible to the grand masses. Uh, she is a, a person people do not pay attention to. She is Clark Kent in that way. She can put on glasses and it, almost the opposite. <laughs> she could put on glasses and now be a superhero because people aren't looking for her like that. People wouldn't recognize her by her crazy hair or her bandana just because she's a black woman. That is, again, it could be a reach, but that is how I read it because there's no way people don't know that this woman puts on sunglasses and that she's a spider person. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that's, but, that's an interesting perspective. I just, I'll quickly just say, I, I, li I like that idea a lot, actually. I didn't think mm -hmm. of it that way. What I read it as is that people know that she is Spider-Woman and mm -hmm. she actually moves in her world that way because she's the one out of everybody that doesn't feel like she has anything to hide. She's just mm -hmm. like, I am who I am. I'm out here. Like, what do I have to hide from y'all? Like, I'm a mother. I'm married. I'm badass. I will whoop <laughs> your ass. I'm one of the leaders of the Spider Society. So, fuck you. I'm not going to hide behind a mask. I but I think... I think either way, that, that's a really interesting perspective in terms of just like how she moves and carries herself throughout the universe. No, I love that too. Um, that is definitely like, you know, of course, the the, the unapologeticness of it all. If, if I kind of want to see her universe now because of that, right? Like, who are you yeah. in your universe, Miss Jessica Drew? It's, it's, it's very curious. I'm very interested to see that, man. But she is so fucking cool. I, I, I wish I could get it. I actually have a Spider-Woman pop now. I had to get it. Like, Issa Rae is a spider-woman pop i had to buy it i could not not have it but this woman drives motorcycles and has finger and has uh spider webs coming from her fingertips what what i mean it's just it's the coolest shit ever unfortunately right now at this point in time in the story she's the embodiment of all skin folk ain't your, ain't your kin folk but <laughs> I think eventually, <laughs> I think eventually we're going to see her, you know, mold into, you know, something else and more of a mentor to both Gwen and Miles at some point. But again, right now, you're like, ooh, Jessica, I don't know what's going on right now. But I loved her as a character, man. In fact, I know we got like a lot of her. I still feel like I wish we got a little bit more just because I agree. that's how that's how cool she is. It's like, can you talk some more? Can you talk about your family? I even love how as soon as she gets... Uh, to Gwen and she gives her the rundown of who she is Gwen just goes can you adopt me <laughs> she goes what <laughs> what did you just say but that, that's how cool she is though like she just gives you she shows up in a motorcycle 
and she's pregnant. Like, why are you even here? You know what I'm saying? That's like another question. Like, how are you even in the mix of all this saving people and you're pregnant? That's just the badassness that comes with Jessica Drew. And again, I think that is still kind of alluding to the, I guess, the power that black women have. You know what I mean? They can they can do these things. But man, what a what a, what a cool character. And I can't wait to see what they do with her, because very obviously throughout the film, she has a some some things that she's questioning even though she is behind miguel throughout most of the movie it's very clear it's like mm, damn i feel bad about this or i feel bad about that or you can tell she feels some type of way so i can't see i can't wait to see what happens with her character in particular yeah apparently there's no mat leave for spider people because she just got to work through all this shit while she's like definitely at least eight months pregnant and riding this motorcycle which might be somewhat irresponsible but i'm just gonna assume that she's careful enough to carry that damn baby while she's riding this motorcycle that being said i love the look of jessica drew and the way they designed her here she looks so fucking cool the red and the yellow mixed together and then she's wearing her natural hair out mixed with yes. the, the the glasses like it's just fucking dope how she looks the red boots as you said mm. the the whipping and the spider webs coming out of her fingertips it's just a great great character design and i just love the way that they brought it to life and the way that she utilized her motorcycle like she's actively using it she's riding it she's using it to fucking roll over people's faces and bodies at times like she's that she's that deadly with it and and, and just, you know to go beyond that you know I, th I think my biggest point of contention with the character is what you already alluded to she is uh she is walking a line where it's like you might be a little annoying sis like I, I don't really i don't really appreciate your <laughs> position amongst all mm -hmm. this because one you invited gwen at the end of the day to be a part of all this you were the one that sided with her, with her in the beginning of the movie and said like you know what we can't just leave her here like she's going through a really traumatic life experience miguel like let her come and miguel is reluctant but he allows her to come with them to join the spider society she does so and to be fair to jessica i'm sure that she's had many talks with gwen to warn her like don't do this you gotta act right, be on your P's and Q's, don't fucking go see Miles, because you know what that can lead to, I'm sure she gave all of that heads up to her, but the way that she just, like, pivoted so quickly at the end, away from Gwen, and was like, you know, I couldn't do nothing for you, I told you a long time ago, if you were to go against what I, what I told you to do, I ain't gonna be there to help you, and I'm just like, damn, sis, like, that, that's kind of cold, you, <laughs> you just leaving her out to dry, she's a kid, she's 15, Crazy. like, she's gonna mess up and make mistakes, you know, albeit probably the stakes of the universe are at play, but mm -hmm. still, like, have a little compassion, so to your point, I do hope that we can see some of that happen in the next movie, some of that change in ideology, that, that change in emotion, you know, maybe becoming a little bit more mentory to Gwen, I, I don't yeah. know, I don't know really what her role and function will be in the next one, but I'm super curious, and I do think that the way that they utilize her here was good and there could have been more but I, I do like that they set those those things in motion early on that 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 leads us to miguel o'hara spider-man 2099 who they teased actually at the end of into the spider-verse if you stuck mm -hmm. around for the post credits for that movie oscar isaac has been here and they always said that if they were going to make a sequel they were going to have spider-man 2099 be a very important part of this puzzle and they certainly manifested that and it came to life in this movie the marketing the trailers everything that we saw led us to believe that miguel o'hara might be the villain of this movie he might be the person that is the antagonist to miles mm -hmm. and for a long time as we were watching this movie i'm like well that doesn't seem to be the case like he's nowhere to be found we've gotten a glimpse of him but it's clearly the spot and then the third act kicks in and he is absolutely <laughs> the villain of this movie essentially yeah. he becomes the villain to miles he becomes the main antagonist and we learn a lot about miguel we learn that he's essentially kind of the protector and the gatekeeper to the multiverse he's bearing the burden 
of keeping the entire Spider-Verse in order. And it's largely due to this guilt that he's living with, considering the fact that he's responsible for collapsing and destroying an entire universe himself. And so I think because of that incident, he feels very much responsible for keeping things in order and making sure that things go the way that they're supposed to. And we go to his world at the end of this new wave of York, and he's the leader of the Spider Society, which consists of hundreds and hundreds of Spider-Men. But he's a really... Two, right, exactly. Two, literally 280 characters. But he's this really brooding, emotional, dark version of Spider-Man, really unlike anything else we see throughout this movie. As Peter B. Parker said, he's like the one that doesn't joke. Like, you're the one that doesn't... You're, yeah. We're supposed to be funny, bro, and you don't, you don't give off any jokes. <laughs> Before we dive into the specifics with this character, what did you think about, you know, just the, the introduction, really the, the, the actual proper introduction of Spider-Man 2099 throughout this movie, and just the purpose that he serves as being sort of the leader of the spider society man first of all oscar isaac what a pick what a goddamn pick man this is of course one of the best working actors that we have today he is also just constantly working oscar isaac always stay with a job he's all he's one of those people as well man but he also fits already miguel o'hara in a way that I'm pretty sure Oscar Isaac is just as much of a melting pot <laughs> of a person in terms of his ethnicity as kind of Miguel O'Hara is. Well, Miguel O'Hara is a little more specific, right? I think he's Latin and Irish. It's like his his, his two things. Um, but man, what a what a tremendous choice! And I also love the choice to pick Spider Man 2099 actually very accurately to what Peter B says that you were just saying was like this is the Spider Man that doesn't joke. And even if you like read a Spider-Man 2099 comic or the stories he's been in, he's not as quippy as your average Peter Parker or your Miles or your Gwen or any of the other spiders. He really is like this dark guy. Not only that, but in his origin story where he had to like suck something out of his own bloodstream, he ends up with these fangs. that is just crazy but the fangs of a spider which is funny Gwen calls him like a vampire later on but he does end up with these fangs and he does end up um with uh he can like also like secrete venom from the fangs too mm-hmm. it's not and it's just like this dude is scary first and like it just is what it is he is a scary spider person and it may it already sets him apart completely from anything else and they do do a good job of, of making him the serious guy, even from the beginning, from Gwen's from Gwen's meeting with him at the beginning. He is very much the guy that's like, we're here to do business. This is an anomaly. Let's get out of here. He was not trying to pick up Gwen. Nothing else. He was like, let's get this vulture, stop the anomaly, and get, get on out of here. He's always about that business at all times of the day. And so it's, it's, it's just so interesting that they included him here. In it, But it makes sense because in some ways he is, like you said, not only the opposite of Spider-Punk, but in a lot of ways, he's the, he's the opposite of Miles, where Miles is not, quote unquote, a scary spider person. You know what I mean? Miles is not a scary Spider-Man. He's very nice. That's why Peter B. has a baby, <laughs> because Miles is that nice. That's why he wants his baby to be like Miles, because Miles is that nice of a guy. But phew, Miguel O'Hara is not that guy. So it, I, I love how like depressed Miguel is, because it does fuel his vengeance, and it does fuel his villainy throughout the film but man I, I just thought they were making good choices here with him man and even his presence is so important in the movie too because as he's up there they're in the in spider society he's at hq looking at his computer looking at 
his his makeshift daughter right from a different universe that he got to have spend time with um in, in all of those things there are moments that you can just see like he's the most depressed spider as uh, uh spider-man india is the least depressed <laughs> he is the most depressed spider and so i love how they play on that um uh, throughout the film and i love how they they use that darkness to feel like damn this dude is the villain and he's high-key scary in those moments so yeah i the, i think they just did a good job with him overall just an extraordinary voice acting performance from Oscar Isaac here. He he's really like you say he stays with a job. He's also I think one of the best working actors right now. He just always brings a great level of gravitas, but never losing that relatability in in a lot of his roles. But here he can just kind of transform himself to being somewhat of a monstrous being a monstrous spider-man who's carrying a lot of darkness behind him and is not one to be fucked with like he's that one that mm. if you cross he's gonna bring those hands for you and make sure that you fall in line with everybody else and i love the character design of spider-man 2099 here it's very faithful to the comics but just the way that they integrated mm -hmm. him into this movie he looks badass he's swole as shit he's bigger than every other spider-man so again if you step to him it's probably gonna be an issue and he has fangs and the claws like everything is just turned up for this character because he is so futuristic he exists well ahead of time and he has advancements and technology that that far exceed any other spider person that we've seen thus far mm -hmm. even even the the webbing the thwipping that he does it, it looks it looks futuristic you know it, yeah. all of that stuff looks like cybernetic it, it, it's mm -hmm. crazy just what they did visually to represent him here and we get those moments where he starts to first like try to introduce the conversation to Miles and everybody's trying to joke with him and distract him. Peter B's trying to handle Mayday. He's just not having it. The man is about his business. He's like, I have a monologue to give and I'm here to give it and I'm going to do mm -hmm. it. And even when he's talking to Lila, he's like, do the thing, do the thing. And she's like, what thing? He's like, you know what thing, you know, he doesn't have to say anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just love that serious nature. Again, that weight that was needed, especially for where they were going to take the story before we get into the final act, which has a ton of stuff that we have to address. Do want to talk about Peter B. Parker here, of course, the reemergence of Peter B. Parker, who was, you know, really one of our one of our best relationships, I think, out of all spider people in the first movie, because he played mentor to Miles like that was the that was the Spider-Man who taught Miles how to be Spider-Man. He taught him how to thwip. He taught him how to be a hero. He gave him mm -hmm. really, really important life lessons on the choices that you could or could not make as as a, as a Spider-Person. Uh, and, and we finally get to see him here after having a pretty large absence from a lot of the movie. And we also got a new development that he's had a baby. He has Mayday with Mary Jane. They are able to mend their relationship and, and start a family. And so Peter B comes in here and he's bringing all that funny comedy, all those quips again that we know him for. He's wearing like a a bathrobe from home he, he has slippers on <laughs> fuzzy slippers so he's definitely being a dad a dad and a girl mom at this point so what did you think about peter b parker and just like seeing him reemerge here man uh i i really like this version of spider-man i really do just because he is he is a lot of the peter that we know but some of the peter that i almost feel like we never got right like he is the peter like whose story has progressed to a level that we never have gotten to see a live action. Not unless you read the comics. Have you really seen kind of this version of Peter? You know what I mean? Like he, 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 we just haven't gotten here yet. We haven't gotten daddy Peter. We haven't gotten Mayday Parker in, in anything either. And we finally get it. And I love that. I also love, he always has on a robe and house shoes. I'm like, how are you really just like whipping around where you are with just these house shoes on? Like these, the house shoes not fall off. I don't know. It blows my mind somehow. But I, I, I really like this version of him, man. And I like how 
again, we'll get into some of the deeper stuff later, but I still like how he care. He do, you can tell he does care about Miles. You know, I, and I really like that that mentor state of him who's like he's still trying to he's still trying to talk to himself that he is a good mentor <laughs> like nobody else is asking any questions he's like well i think that makes me a good mentor <laughs> oh i think that makes me a good mentor too i love how he's still always trying to talk himself into that but there is a moment which yeah i'll talk about it now. there's a moment though in the chase scene but like where he like he knows exactly where miles is going to end up and meets him there and i was like huh that's really interesting. Like, I don't know how he did that or how he knew where Miles was going to end up, but I think that does have something to do with his mentorship. And I love how it's a give and take relationship between him and Miles. Like, Miles has given, or he has given Miles mentorship and kind of helped him shepherd him into the life of being a Spider Man. And Miles gave Loki talked to him into having a kid. He said, You just got to take a leap of faith. So I love the push and pull relationship they have there. Um, and I think this version of the character is really cool, to be honest. I really do. Um, again, because he is like the most adult that we've gotten he is really him and jessica drew are really similar in a lot of ways right we're like they got she got a kid on the way mayday is already here for peter b and so i i, I really like seeing this adult version of spider-man because before it's like depressed adult but now it's like oh you stepped into yourself now you're still spider-man you're back at mary jane you have a kid you're a mentor you're kind of doing the thing you know what i'm saying and so i love how he's living life at this stage in his life and in the first movie and in Into the Spider-Verse, we learned that he had been Spider-Man for a decade. And when you get his montage in that first movie, it's full of, like, real tragic shit. He breaks his back. He's overweight. He can barely keep up in a fight. Like, all these things are crumbling around him. They they split up, him and, him and Mary Jane. So he's definitely on the down and outs in that first movie. But because of his interaction and his meeting with Miles, them crossing paths, it just gives him a new lease on life. And he tells mm -hmm. Miles in that chase, like, I had Mayday because of you because I saw just what was capable in terms of having a young person in my life and what that could possibly mean. Like if I had a daughter, maybe she can grow up to be as good as you miles. And that's just mm. like super wow. profound and just emotionally, just so, so just rich in terms of their relationship and how much miles has meant to him. And I just, I love that he's able to communicate that to miles in a very, very important moment in Miles's life. When he's like at a crossroads, he's kind of reckoning with who he is and his purpose. And you get that one nugget of information from Peter B. Parker who lets him know like, yo, bro, you are good enough. Like, even though mm -hmm. we're telling you all this crazy shit, like you're an anomaly and you're not supposed to be Spider-Man, quote unquote, like, no, bump that. I, I had my daughter because of you, man. Like you, you are that special. Like this is important. And so that stuff was really great. And I just love what Jake Johnson like voice acting wise brings to the role because he oh, has a, he has a, he has a really unique voice and his performance mm -hmm. is great. And lastly, all the all the outfits are, are, are really really cool and inventive because in the first one he's wearing gray sweatpants the entire time <laughs> which somebody showed up at our screening in in a spider suit with gray sweatpants and so i'm like that's become influential and now he's in a bathrobe in, in, in fuzzy house slippers you know carrying around mayday um so just really really great looks that can just like change up the visual style of who the character is so i really love what jake johnson brings to that role in particular so that brings us to the final act. We should finally just address this and get to it because there is so much to cover. There are so many things that occurred in the course of the last like 40 minutes of this movie. I just want to first start by talking about Spider Society HQ, which mm -hmm. is in New Wave of York. Again, this is another universe that we go to, the world of Spider-Man 2099. Super futuristic, looked super cool. But this is where we see 
all the hundreds and hundreds of spider people. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, I'm not about to list everyone that came across screen because that would just be, I think, a pointless exercise. If you want to find out literally every single character that was here, go watch some sort of Easter egg video. But I do want to call out a few and, and then maybe we can talk about some of our favorites because there were some really good moments. But some of the big ones that had, you know, definitely moments to just shine in the spotlight included the Insomniac Spider-Man, which is directly yeah. pulled from the PS4 video game, which was nice to see. There were also nods to animated series. There was Spider-Man Unlimited, which is like the 1999 animated series. Mm -hmm. uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, which is a really great Spider-Man series, by the way, uh, that debuted in 2008, I believe. There was also Spider-Cat. There were Spider-Rex. <laughs> and so you get these different sort of feline and, and animalistic versions of Spider-People. There was Metro Spider, Metro Boomin's version of Spider-Man, yep. who had a brief moment here, mm -hmm. which was cool to see. Uh, and then, of course, probably the biggest surprise in the movie in terms of things that we did not see coming, Donald Glover is the Prowler, because it wasn't just Spider-People at Spider-Society HQ. There were also other anomalies that they basically had in prison there. We mm -hmm. saw, like, versions of the Rhino. We saw other versions of Mysterio and Doc Ock, and they had yes. a version of the Prowler by donald glover who was caged up in this movie which of course is a live action version of him so they blended live action within this animated moment so uh what did you think about just seeing this whole world come to life and seeing it all unfold they they alluded to a lot of it in the trailer but until you really see it in the context of the movie it's hard to kind of grasp what what it means for the story and then they just throw a bunch of surprises and really funny moments at you how would you feeling about this whole moment and, and and maybe you know sort of point to some of your standouts in terms of things you saw man i really loved it um because i think we knew we were going to see a ton of spider people in this movie right we've seen so much art and posters and things of that nature coming into uh, uh fruition when it comes to the marketing of the film we've seen so many different spider people it's kind of crazy when you think about it again i'm pretty sure they ended up at like 280 spider people <laughs> which is i can't even imagine how much work that took um and i know a lot of those were spider people that they made up right that didn't even exist and i'm pretty sure probably I, i'm pretty sure like 75 of them were like actual real spider people from somewhere in this in the spider universe that's my guess anyways because there was like web slinger and like the one spider-man who had the bag on his head that's the one that ends up in like the fantastic four world but like he doesn't have a mask so he has to put a brown paper bag over his head for some reason it's just a lot <laughs> that was that was going on in those, in those moments but i loved it because it, 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 it's the Spider-Verse. Like, we expected to see these characters, but I think they did it in the right way where they weren't just showing Spider-People for no reason. It's still in service of the story, right? If there's a Spider-Society, one, it's important for Miles' story of belonging, right? All these Spider-People are here. Why am I not invited to these Spider-People? But I also liked it because uh, uh, it's like, it was like fan service, fan servicey without having again to be fan servicey. It definitely just went with the story. It like, spy, I mean, uh, uh, Miles is running from all these people, <laughs> so it's like, duh, of course it's going to be these spider people chasing him. Um, and yeah, it felt good to me. I I I I, I loved being able to pick up on the spider people that I knew or people or people that I thought was missing. You know what I mean? That might pop up later on. I was like, oh, where's this person? Where's that person? So I love being able to do that too. So I think it worked for both. Uh, for for both Spider Spider Man fans who d didn't know a lot of the characters and knew a lot of the characters, because again, people like Spider Cat and people like uh, uh, Spider Rex popping up, anybody who's anybody's gonna laugh at that. Especially um, what what Spider Man the therapist, which was great to see. I love seeing Spider Man the therapist, who his name is like Ezekiel, which is like the old old man Spider Man, which. <clears throat> 
crazy. I don't know how they decided to do that, but man, it it was just it was fast, but fast for a reason. It was fast, like we were going through the spider people and the spider society quickly. But it all made sense in the in the in the context of the story, and so that's why I thought it was well done. I thought it was handled with care. We've talked about this movie really is a, another love letter to Spider Man. I know I talked about how No Way Home was a love letter to Spider Man. This is another one of those examples where it's like, man, we really love Spider Man out here, and these are the years in different iterations and different suits of Spider Man that we've always that we've all come to love and we all come to appreciate and be interested in throughout the years. So I thought it was very well handled. Um, yeah, those are those. That's pretty much it, man. When it comes to, uh, I really love seeing Ben Riley as a Scarlet Spider. He is one of the more comic booky famous not even just comic book because he has been in some cartoons too but he is one of the more famous versions of spider-man that that we haven't really talked about in recent memory that a lot of people know who ben riley scarlet spider is so I, it was really cool to see him played by andy sandberg shout out to him uh, but yeah I, I i like what they were doing this was just phenomenal and and overwhelming in the best ways we're talking about six decades of history that they infused into this entire sequence that they were paying tribute and homage to i honestly cannot imagine the nightmare that they probably went through to get rights and clearances for all these different characters like the the legality of it all is beyond me and i deal with stuff like that at my own job and i'm just like that just had to have been like moving mountains to get all these characters included in here because there are many iterations of these characters that are wrapped up in tv rights fees and come from international showings of spider-man and video games like there's so much to 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 take into account to make this possible to bring this to life it's no easy feat and they did so damn near seamlessly in terms of the story because you do get miles very excited very much happy to be there and be a part of the team and he has this wide-eyed optimism but it's also like yeah bro you might have been the only one who didn't get invited just because of who you are and we see all these other people at work doing their thing there's so many really really funny things that you see like you mentioned already spider cast spider rex peter parked car is brilliant i thought that that was absolutely hilarious all the other spider people you see like you said they're they're just they're just giving you so much to chew on and if you're a spider-man fan of really anything they have something for you because they're pulling stuff from movies and tv and video games and toys even like there's just Popsicles. all of spider-man lore <laughs> included in this moment it's like yo what could they have been thinking how did they conceptualize this like who drew this stuff out i just want to know all the details behind it and then you add that on top of just like this the the, the purpose that is served for the story mm-hmm. and and knowing that all these spider people are connected by these canon events that they have all pretty much experienced is, is a really profound thing to say like, yeah, as silly as Web Slinger might be or is just old that the, the original Spider-Man animated series iteration might be, like they all kind of went through the same thing. So that all brings them and binds them together. And then of course, Donald Glover as Prowler. It's just wild and crazy to think about that his story is like a character and is an actor and his relationship to Spider-Man kind of comes full circles with this movie. Um, you talked about Donald Glover a little bit earlier, just like being on community, wearing a Spider-Man outfit, talking about possibly being Spider-Man, people fan casting him when they were casting for the amazing Spider-Man and they ultimately went to Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. to then that leading to the Spider-Man homecoming 
sequence of him being Uncle Aaron, essentially alluding to the fact that he may be the Prowler one day, but they never they never realized that moment to now him essentially becoming the Prowler. <laughs> and we don't technically know if it's a variant of him or if it is like indeed the Prowler, possibly from the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe. But it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that they did it, exactly. which is just such a cool moment. And Donald Glover was like down and, and willing to do this. Uh, I'm sure that that was like another moment that, that got you excited. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I, I didn't see it coming. I had no idea that they were even going for something like that. Were you super surprised to see him a part of this movie? Oh, absolutely. That's the one that was far, far left for me. You know, I did expect to see uh, uh, something with Toby and Andrew in it, right? But when you, (laughs) what, like, when you see Donald Glover there, you're like, there's just no way that this guy is here because that that Donald Glover as Spider-Man campaign was something so crazy. He had he had songs with it in it, you know what I mean? And and even when you first see him in Homecoming, you're like, okay, that was a cool nod, but I'm not sure they'll ever do anything with it. And then they come up here in this multiversal movie. It's just really crazy to see. In fact, it's 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 low key that that moment is actually I think a very important part of of just superhero history because now to me in my mind it's almost them telling us that the sonyverse kind of fits under the mcu a little bit you know what i'm saying like they are almost kind of trying to tell us that the mcu and the in the sonyverse are kind of connected and i love i love the ways in which they're trying to do that man so yeah i absolutely love seeing it even it, this it's commentary within itself too but even because the internet donald glover was talking about how he's both childish gambino and how he's uh, uh donald glover and now he's like both at one point in some ways he's miles morales now he's also uncle aaron it's just crazy that like the the he's like he's a multi-dimensional being himself now <laughs> uh uh childish gambino slash donald glover is so it's just really cool to see him and i was definitely surprised to see him i i had no idea that was coming but a, a good surprise and apparently, he's about to be the Hypno Hustler coming soon to a theater near you, um, which further adds another wrinkle to this whole mess because he's going to play another Spider-Man villain, which is even more obscure than than others we've already talked about at this point. So I, I don't know what any of that means, really, in the context of this whole experiment that they're doing. But to see him as the Prowler was just dope. And like we got two shots of him. We, we got the first shot where he's like, it's rude to stare, bro. Like, don't stare. And then we got the later shot where he's booing everybody as they're chasing Miles. So that was just, like, great stuff. Uh, we should talk about what I think is my favorite scene in the movie, which is sort of the exposition dump about the canon events and the meaning of Miles and his place in this entire universe. And we get all of that delivered to us by Miguel O'Hara, who we just met, like, a few minutes ago. Really, like, in, in full detail. We saw him at the top of the movie, but this is where we find out who he is. He gives his origin story, essentially. And then he tells Miles... That you are an anomaly. You're not supposed to be here. We all have canon events that connect us, Mm. that bind us, that make this whole Spider-Verse, this web of existence possible. And there's a couple of really notable events. One, it's the death of Uncle Ben, which has been obviously a hallmark of Spider-Man storytelling ever since the beginning, since his origin in the 60s. But then also the death of Captain Stacy, or a police captain at least close to Spider-Man, is also another canon event. And so now we've learned that Spider-Man's father, Jeff, is about to become police captain, which ultimately means that his dad is going to perish within a couple of days, which is going to be at the hands of the spot who revealed himself earlier in the movie to want to basically destroy Miles' world. So we're throwing a lot of information Mm -hmm. at one time on Miles. We're telling him, you don't belong here. The Spider-Man that bit you isn't from your universe. Mm. 
we don't want you. Mm. Your father's going to die and you can't do shit about it. You're going to stay here by hell or high water. So this just becomes a different level of storytelling entirely. The stakes are on an entirely different level now for Miles. It becomes life or death and it becomes his entire world and what it means for him, his existence, his place in all of this, his wow. destiny, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and his purpose and and what he is and what he's capable of doing or not doing and the the idea of being able to do it all and and do both, like all that stuff coalesces into this really emotional and dark scene cuz it's also almost like an intervention, like he said in the movie. All the spider people in spider society are gathering around him. They're circling around him. It becomes like ganging up on him. And, it, and it's it's frightening to see that. And then he ultimately has to escape. But what did you think about just the delivery of that scene before they even go on the chase and try yeah. to capture him? Just the moment of Miguel dropping that fucking atomic bomb on his life and just saying like, yeah, bro, this is how it is and you can't do nothing about it. Man, I have so much <laughs> to say here, but... You know, I have to start it off with his mom, Rio, right? Where we get the, the, the rooftop scene and Miles is like, again, he's been talking to his dad kind of through Spider-Man. He's like, I just want to spread my wings, right? And he and he, we come to the, the, the party on the rooftop with Rio after Gwen kind of dips on him. And Rio is just like, she understands that Miles wants to spread his wings. And, and she, she goes, I love you, Miles. It's just they won't look out for you like us. And that quite literally spells out the rest of the film. It spells out spider society where he ends up in a situation where these spider people, this spider society is not looking out for him. Not only that, but it is a a dark moment for Miles for, for, again, they're not only not looking out for him, they're telling him that he is potentially the cancer of the, of the multi-universe anything because of him other universes are suffering it's kind of what the miguel blames miles for everything that is happening and in 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 and i think miguel is in a, a interesting place within this movie where he kind of feels of course we know miguel was like he has ptsd from losing a daughter he tries to go to another universe to get his daughter back or to at least spend time with a daughter where he got shot in that universe but that universe starts imploding and now he's just upset at the world. And there's a lot of anger given towards Miles because of that. But it's not only that. I think there's there, there's a little bit more to it with Miguel's character. If you remember where Miles, uh, uh, Miles shows up to Miguel, he tries to give him an empanada. That's like the nicest thing <laughs> you could possibly do to somebody. And what's funny, without even really knowing it, the first time Miles meets Miguel, he already knows he speaks Spanish. I don't know how. But, you know, he's like, I speak Spanish, too. And Miles gives kind of his Puerto Rican version of Spanish. And not only does Miguel throw the empanada back down at him or wherever he throws it, but he gives like a more, I guess, structured form of Spanish back at him. Yeah, more fluent form of Spanish back at him. I'm just like, this dude is a dick. Not only because, of course, he's angry at other things, but like he's just like, this dude is trying to relate to you in some way. In fact, I think this this might be one of the the important beats in the story right where miguel and in uh miles are closer in in how how similar they are more than how different they are right where miguel has fangs shoot miles can touch things and stop them with his venom you know what i'm saying like they they are more similar than he thinks they both speak spanish in, in in that way and so i think there's more being said here though where 
we we talked about this before on this podcast, where there is something about Spider-Man, Miles Morales, where black people accept him more than the Latinx community accept him. You know what I mean? And I think that is a, a very underlying thing when it comes to Miguel, because Miguel, of course, is half... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know exactly what. It, I don't know if it's Spanish. I don't know if he's Mexican. I don't know what he is. I just know some Latinx in him. But he doesn't look at Miles like that. He doesn't look at Miles as a spider person. He looks at him as an anomaly. The same way a lot that the Latinx community does not accept Spider Man as one of theirs, like the Black community does. And that's what Rio was trying to tell him. Like people aren't going to look out for you. Like how we like how I look out for you, because um, this is the community, not necessarily these people you don't know. And so I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, thing going on here. And I can feel it throughout the film, though. It's like, why are we telling this black kid, black Spider-Man, that he doesn't belong? He's the anomaly. It's just so crazy to me that this is the way it's going down. But I, I really do love those moments. But, but while wow, he's telling he's telling he's telling Miles, like, bro, I'm sorry, like, but you are supposed to be here. I'm sorry, I apologize. And it's so interesting that Miguel has also gotten everyone to buy into that idea, right? We'll talk about the chase in a minute, but he, he has gotten Gwen to buy in. He has gotten Peter B to buy in. He has gotten Jessica Drew to buy in. He has gotten all these people to buy into his idea almost because he sees it happening in real time without noticing the the small nuances that Miles brings to the table. So yeah, it's it's a lot to talk about, but it's it's such an interesting thing i think happening uh as he's giving miles the rundown of who he, who he is and quote unquote who he's supposed to be and miles is not having that shit and i love it man i think the important reason as to how miguel got everybody to bought in to the stuff that he's selling into the idea of the the spider verse and these canon events is because nobody else had a choice all their events already happened yeah. all their deaths in their life had already occurred. So what are you going to do? If one is telling you, the leader of the spider society is telling you that, yeah, we're all connected because your uncle Ben died or your aunt may died or your captain Stacy died. That's in the past. That's already happened. So it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. There's a greater purpose here. We can work together. We can keep this all in line and make sure that the fate of the universe doesn't unravel. Miles is the only one that has been presented essentially with a choice. Mm. He's the only one that knows his fate of his father before it ever occurs. Mm. That's wild as fuck. Like, he is the one. That's why he is the anomaly, Mm -hmm. because he now knows. And it's kind of cruel that they gave him that information. I know that several things happened beforehand. Gwen going to visit him, him ultimately going to Moonbatten. It it created a cascade of events that led to this moment. So they had to tell him, essentially, Mm -hmm. like, your place in all of this. But... It's a wild thing to basically present to this young kid who's 15 years old that we all knew this about you. You didn't know. We're all also on the same page. You are not, but your dad's going to die and that's it. That's the end of the story. Mm. You can't leave. That's that's going to be the fate of it all because if not, if you try to change that like you already did in Moonbatten, you're going to fuck things up even more. So I have to ask you, whose side are you on? Because there is a moral conundrum here. It's not black and white. And I think that there are valid points on both sides on mm-hmm. one hand you have miles who has to process all of this in mere seconds with hundreds of spider people around him probably ready to subdue him and contain him and and go against him and his father is helpless in another universe and then on the other hand there is a bigger picture at play and we don't mm-hmm. know how the story is going to play out we don't know ultimately what's going to go down but there has been a status quo and we yeah. did see moon batten 
start to crumble and collapse. That it event, did. that saving of cap of the captain, police captain in that universe, did start some shit. So mm. there's actual real consequences to the disruption of these events. And so, I mean, if I had to ask you, where do you fall on the on the side of the conversation, if 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 either side at all? Yeah, I think I think everything that Miguel has put together with the Spider Society, with this idea of anomalies and in, in universes falling apart, I think there's a piece missing. I think there's something about these things happening that he has yet to completely understand. And I don't think Miles has figured it out yet, but I'm willing to bet him and Earth 42 Miles are about to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they're about to understand what's happening here, man. Um, and, and, and so I have to I have to find myself on the Miles side of things, first and foremost, because if this is a spider society and if I'm the original anomaly, why are you not using me? in all the things that I can bring to the table to change it. You know, there's there's an important part where uh, uh, Miguel O'Hara, he just says, being Spider-Man is a sacrifice. He says, that's the job. That's what we have to do. Miles is like, so you're just supposed to let people die, right? And that's one of the big things in this movie is the trolley car problem, right? You have five people on one track tied to the track and one person on the other side of the track tied to the track. Which side, you know what I'm saying? Are you supposed to let the trolley kill the five people or the one person? And Miles is like, why, we should just try to save them all. <laughs> That's what we do. We're Spider-Man. We're supposed to try to save them all. And so I have to be on the side of Miles here because they're, they're, it's like you as, as Spider-Man, you have one mission. And that's just to attempt to save everyone. And I think Miles is also saying, well, shouldn't that include me? Shouldn't that include my father? <laughs> shouldn't that include, you know what I'm saying, everything that I have going forward? I'm a spider person too. Um, at the end of the day, and and, 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 and yeah, I, I just have to be on that side, man, because Miguel and the rest of Spider Society, they don't feel like they don't feel like the good guys, man. When you see that big ass spider come from the, the roof and he starts trying to send people back to their original uh to their original universe, it is creepy as hell, bro. And even even Spider Punk is like, yeah, that's it, it doesn't look right or it looks I forgot the exact words, but you know what I'm saying? He was like yeah, it, it 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 doesn't look good. It looks scary, and so I'm 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 I, I got to be on the side of Miles because I think there's something that they just don't know. And proof is in the pudding. Again, we haven't gotten to the ch the chase yet, but proof is in the pudding that Miles continues to subvert expectation over and over and over. And so there's clearly something he brings to the table. Y'all just not inviting him to the table. That's a fair point, and the fact that he is an anomaly is, in and of itself, a valuable piece of information that he exists to begin with. The fact that a spider not from his universe bit him. I think about other stories that that, that reflect this. I think about the Matrix, you know, with Neo, him being mm. the quote-unquote sixth one. They started to build on that lore more in the sequels, but mm -hmm. the idea that the one is a repeated idea. There is not just a singular one. Like, this happens all the time. This is the course of history, mm -hmm. and there's always, like, a savior. And that's not to say that they're going to go in that same direction, but I, I do think that, like, anytime we introduce the idea of a one, yeah, that one ultimately is always responsible for changing the status quo. Somehow, the events and the choices that they make 
will reflect in the decisions that impact the larger society or universe or whatever is at stake. And it doesn't go the way that everybody thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be the thing that puts them on a bit of a different path and creates maybe an entirely new reality. And I think that Miles in this moment, first of all, their approach was really bad. They shouldn't have done it this way. Like that sure. was just fucked up to gang up on him in that way. Obviously, tensions are rising high, so you can't really have a reasonable conversation. Like, it's going to be pretty much coming to blows, I think, at the point that they reach. But (laughs) I just love the idea that even throughout all of this in this dark moment, the Mm -hmm. filmmakers, the people behind this movie, like, I think that this this entire sequence and everything that follows, it's just reaffirming the idea to us as an audience that Miles Morales is Spider-Man. Like, he is the definitive Spider-Man and Miles in the comics when he was introduced or even brought to life in video games and animated series, like he is another Spider-Man in addition to Peter Parker, right? Mm. And we've seen that happen in this movie, but for the purpose of this trilogy, which we're ultimately going to get, Miles is Spider-Man and the context in which we've met Miles is within the context of how he relates to all these other people mm-hmm. that are like him in, in a lot of respects, but he is different than everybody else. Yes, And they're playing with that idea right now that Peter Parker, who you've known for 60 years, he is a Spider-Man, but he's not the Spider-Man. Mm. Miles Morales is the definitive Spider-Man. And I think that that's what they're trying to convey with this story, mm-hmm. which I didn't think about it until like after we saw it the second time. I was like, oh, wait a second. This feels bigger yeah. than just like, Miles is another Spider-Man. We're just I trying agree. to explore like another character. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he's the guy. He's the one. And he resists the notion and sort of this ubiquitous experience for lack of a better word that that that, that's supposed to happen to everybody he resists Mm -hmm. that he's like it doesn't have to be that way as you said they can do everything and that's that's what we're supposed to be and i think that that storytelling device has a greater purpose of exploring the root of what makes somebody unique and what makes them special within all this to begin with because Mm -hmm. what truly makes a spider-man special if there's 300 of you Mm. I think Miles is the living embodiment of what that's supposed to look like, and he's going to be the one that teaches them, you know, some some big big les- lessons in in the way that the the events of the third film shape out. That's just a prediction, but that's kind of how I read it, you know, that yeah. he's not the one is in in terms of the outcast. Like, no, he's just the one. Period. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the end of the story, right? So we'll have to see. But that that's followed by a huge chase sequence throughout New Wave of York. It, it it goes all throughout the city. We see sort of the underground of the city. They end up on this vertical train that goes like up into the sky, which looks just visually phenomenal. It's so yeah. much happening here. And this is where we see a lot of a lot of spider people actually come across the screen. We see Web Slinger try to have a, a shoot off with Miles. We see Miles <laughs> riding a fucking horse throughout Nueva York headquarters. I never thought I would see that. Like yeah. a black Spider-Man riding a horse, crazy. which was a crazy visual. We got the old animated version who didn't have enough frames to keep up with the battle. That was really funny. <laughs> just all crazy stuff happening throughout the sequence. What did you think about just this action set piece, this huge, probably biggest action set piece all throughout the movie that took place in these final moments? Man, uh, it's it's amazing. It is easily, of course, one of the best chase scenes I've ever seen because there's so much nuance in it. There's so much here. We can we can have a couple jokes here and there, you know what I mean? What's between Spider Cat and, and and like you said, uh, uh, the Web Slinger, who was that that cowboy Spider Man? We can we can have those moments, but at the end of the day, it's all these Spider people chasing the the quote unquote black Spider Man who doesn't belong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's there's a lot in that. There's 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 gravity to that. They're they're like we're we're not only chasing you just to chase you. Like we we literally believe that 
you're fucking up everybody else's world <laughs> in that way. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's really scary stuff. But us as the audience, we're all here for miles. And so we're watching the chasing like, man, this is crazy. But also this is beautiful, though, because everything on screen is just insane. Back to the therapist moment, right? Where uh, the therapist moment doing therapy. Oh, uh, then I seen my uncle. Let me guess. He died, you know, moment. And then all these people come through the wall. It's such a small moment, but it's so cool. It's like the slow motion. And you can see all the spider people coming through the wall. You can see Miles running from all these people. You can see Miles climbing uh, uh, this train. And not only that, but in that moment, of course, as an audience, you're like, does this dude have a plan? Here comes Miguel O'Hara. You probably don't even have a plan. Oh, uh, uh, Peter B., does this kid have a plan like everyone he's is, like stop pretending to know where you're going bro i love it so much because who else in all of the spider people would they undervalue undermine would they underestimate underestimate the goddamn miles morales oh my god the anomaly the black kid from brooklyn and he gets all of them he literally gets them all. And not only that, but of course, he has the 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 amazing moment, man, where Miguel is telling him who he is, where everyone is like, Miles, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to be like this. And of course, right after he gets done low-key whooping their ass <laughs> and, and uh, uh, so again, subverting expectations because he was underestimated, he goes, everyone keeps telling me how my story is supposed to go. Nah. I'm gonna do my own thing. What an amazing! Hey, low key, that was like spoilers if you ain't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. That was almost as good as Rocket, Rocket Raccoon, because I almost yelled in the middle of the movie theater when he said that shit. Because it was like, and what's what's also really funny is I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not even sure white people understood it completely because it is like a, it's so it's 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 low key a black colloquialism. It's like a like. Like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. It's, white people don't say that. You know what I'm saying? That's a very black thing to say. And it felt he, it felt so confident in that moment because we do see unsure Miles. Into the Spider-Verse is about unsure Miles. That's what the whole sequence through the city is about. He don't know if he can do this. He don't know if he can be Spider-Man. Now we've 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 matured. We 15. We gotten taller. Sure, we in love. That's a whole nother thing. We don't know how that's going. But our grades are fire. I'm Spider-Man. Nah, I'm gonna do my own thing. Ten out of ten. What just what a moment in cinema. <laughs> what a moment in cinema, man. But I, I I it really is a chase that I couldn't have seen coming. I really like the venom touch on Miguel's shoulder where he starts to like deteriorate a little bit. He starts to lose color. I thought that was crazy. Um and I love how when you look down, you see all the Spider Men on top of each other. It kinda like World War Z zombies. How like they be climbing <laughs> on top of each other. That's kind of what they look really silly. But it was like, of course all these spider people are also chasing him in favor of Miguel and the Spider Society. You know what I mean? They're they're just they're thinking they're doing the right thing in the moment, which I understand because that's what Miguel has fed them. You know what I mean? But I just love that Miles was underestimated because it makes sense that the black Spider-Man, who's an anomaly, would be the one being underestimated. And then he found a way to beat them all. Fucking love it. That's how, that's Spider-Man, goddammit. 
I, I love a good chase sequence. I, I love seeing chases done well in, in big movies. We typically see car chases. We don't typically see hundreds of people chasing <laughs> one person. That That's unique. That's different. And so the way that they were able to bring this whole thing to life was, was pretty extraordinary. And I just can't imagine how long it took them to animate this and bring this whole Holy. sequence together. I, it, it's so many moving pieces and literally, again, hundreds of characters at play and so many funny moments. And the script has to be on point and you have to be visually aware of of where you are in the sequence it has to be legible we have to understand and keep up with where the characters are and they never it never felt confusing it never felt like it was too much it was overwhelming again again in the best ways i think because of just the tension and the crescendo that we reach in this moment which is just so profound that miles is going through the most pivotal experience of his life and he has hundreds of people chasing him who want to subdue him and keep him from protecting his father, which is just a crazy thing that they're jumping this dude because he's trying to make sure his father lives. Like, they're trying to gang up on my guy. And it's wild. It's a really wild sequence. And he does outsmart them all. And it's a really, really brilliant plan that he lured them all away from the control center only to go back to the control center to send himself home. And he's able to enlist the help of Spider-Bite, who we should mention that Spider-Bite is in this movie, another black spider person yeah. at that. And and really, Spider-Bite and Hobie are the only two allies that Miles had, and they are black. You know, they are on his side, which why, again, I'm looking at Jessica like, yo, what the, what, mm-hmm. what's going on with you, sis? Like, mm-hmm. what you doing? You, you're, not, you're not about to step up and show out for my guy, but she didn't, but Spider-Bite and, and Hobie did, but... He does it just so brilliantly, brilliantly, and 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 also it's it's crazy because he's still dealing with a wild barrage of information that's thrown at him because he finds out that Gwen and Peter B knew they knew about who mm. he was, they knew about this plan, they knew about the idea that they were gonna basically bring him here and keep him, and just the fact that his uncle or excuse me his father is about to die possibly in a couple of days, and he's like, yo, what y'all knew and you didn't tell me? There's that moment where Gwen, while they're swinging throughout New Wave of York. She thwips him to catch him from falling, and he sees that it's Gwen, and he breaks the thwip. He's like, "I don't want your, I don't want your help. Like, get off me. You, you're yeah. not on my side." That's crazy that he does crazy. that. He realizes that in that split second. Like, nah, I'm gonna get out of here on my own. And so, um, the line delivery, as you said, even Oscar Isaac, I, I do want to shout him out again just for mm-hmm. how menacing he got in this moment. This is where the voice acting was like shining through because he is just mm-hmm. like furiously bullying this kid at this moment and even peter b is like yo go easy bro like chill you ain't gotta you're right this is not what we talked about you ain't gotta do that and gwen's like that's enough like he is like really just laying it in on miles but miles is able to just get past him outsmart them and 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 ultimately make his plan come to life and and get out of new wave of york and so it was an incredible sequence the best sequence i think in the movie in terms of action and it it, once again as we continue to say services the story it's not just visual Mm -hmm. noise it's not just 300 spider-man swinging and fighting for the sake of fighting it's because there's a purpose at play and the stakes of the universe are literally at play in this sequence and so loved what they did here loved how they brought this whole thing into the film which leads us into a really pivotal sequence of the movie which is the epilogue it's like the last 20 minutes of this movie and we find out that miles ends up getting sent to the wrong universe he gets sent to the universe in which his spider came from he gets sent to earth 42 Mm -hmm. and they do such a great job of building up this moment and this tension making you think that he did make it home and he says that moment where i'm like i'm home he swings through brooklyn and gets back to his apartment 
only to realize that that's not the case. And we see Gwen listening in on the conversation, which we think she's listening in on the conversation between him and Rio. Turns out she's not. She's in his own universe. She's in 1610. So they just do a great job of building this up. And we also see Miguel and, and Scarlet Spider and Jessica, they're after pursuit of Miles as well. But they end up in 1610. They don't end up end up in 42 because that's where they thought he was. And so this was kind of the big twist of the movie. This is the moment that, that sort of sets up just the whole cliffhanger element, the idea that this story is not finished. It's going to continue next year when we get beyond the Spider-Verse. How are you feeling about this whole sequence? Because it goes on for quite a while. Like They it just does. build and build and build the tension and the music and the score and the, the whole look of the, the sequence until we ultimately get that super dark reveal mm -hmm. of Uncle Aaron being alive in Earth-42 and then also just the fact that the Prowler exists and the Prowler is Miles Morales himself. Man. It's... It, sometimes it can be hard to pick my favorite parts in this movie, man, because we were just talking about the chase. I was like, the chase is, it has to be my favorite. But sometimes we talk about this, and it's something about it that's just different, that feels really good. And it's not only the cliffhanger, right, that this is a, a, a the first part of a two-parter, but it's something about, like, the race home that, you can kind of tell it's like you're, you're kind of rooting for miles like, oh, shoot, he's back home. But there is an inkling inside of you like something is not right in this moment. And I, something about that feeling I really love because I don't know how it's going to play out. And I think for us who have this podcast, you know, who we I, I would consider us as cinephiles in some way that. I don't know. A lot of times we can predict things or we just know how something is going to go down. But this thing here just felt like, okay, what are we doing? Like, where are we going with this? And, and it's, it, that feeling was really, it, it was nice to have in those moments, man. And, and, and so first starting with him swinging back through the city, that's a more animation that I thought was crazy, man. I mean, there are faces of his loved ones on buildings. There's the, 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 the woman, Doc Ock claws are coming from behind him there's trains falling off of stuff and of course it's not really happening but it's really uh, uh the idea that his world is crumbling around him and i love that so much because the art styles are crazy not only that but what i noticed early on is that the city looks weird this is not the into the spider-verse city i'm used to it's like green i'm like what is this green tint in the background and, and to be honest at first I didn't know what it was but I knew something was off um and I wasn't 100 percent that it was the the wrong universe thing I, I didn't know what was happening but and then he gets home and he lays on the ground he's like ah I made it home and I love that moment because it feels like they're about to end the movie <laughs> it's like ah I made it home and then space and then the door opens and Rio comes in I was like wait this movie is still happening what is about to <laughs> what is going on here what is what is what is what is this and again we we, we go through all this rio was like who the hell is spider-man and in that moment you're like maybe she's just a mom maybe she just really doesn't know who spider-man is because that's possible right i can imagine a mom not knowing who some superhero is on tv absolutely i believe it shoot people barely know who ant-man is you know what i'm saying <laughs> so i i just seen it was, it was just really cool to see this, I think, transpire in this moment because they, they don't rush through the ending either. It's like all very patient moments. Like him and Rio talk for a minute about like, like you don't know who I am <laughs> or like you don't know who Spider-Man is. Mom, I have something to tell you. And Miles, you know Miles has been working on this speech for 
forever, forever to figure out or for, for him to tell his mom who he is and especially his dad, too. And he finally gets the the the, the goose pie. He finally gets the mustard to be able to tell his mother who he is, that he's Spider-Man. And she don't even know what the hell a Spider-Man is because, surprise, he's in the wrong universe. I just thought it was really cool. I thought it was really well done. And then you see Uncle Aaron's alive. Uncle Aaron, what a traumatic moment. Of course, it's like, for him in the moment, it's the opposite of trauma. But when you find out you're in the wrong universe and you see that man alive and he's probably not who you think he is, is another form of trauma that they're going to have to reckon with and deal with at some point. You move on, man, and you go, Uncle Aaron, you don't have to be the Prowler. He goes, I'm not the Prowler. And you find out it's Miles Morales. Before that, when Miles gets knocked out, I think it's really interesting that his spidey sense didn't go off to, to, to see that the Prowler was about to punch him. I don't know why that is. I haven't figured it out yet. At first, I thought it was because that Miles doesn't have any powers, but that doesn't make any sense because Spider-Sense has nothing to do with somebody else having powers. And especially on the rooftop scene when he first gets there with the cakes, his Spider-Sense is going off that his parents are over there. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was trying to figure out why he didn't sense the Prowler was about to come after him uh, before he gets knocked out uh, dealing with his Uncle Aaron. I thought this was interesting. I still I'm still have to figure that out. Um, but man, what a moment. What How scary it is that this new Miles Morales is the Prowler. His Uncle Aaron is probably helping him do Prowler things. It's just it's, it's just a, a wild moment and a crazy way, I think, to end a film, man. And I, I love everything that they did with Earth 42 Miles. I love the braids. I love that it's, uh, I love that it's Jarrell Jerome. We kind of talked about that. I love that it's Jarrell Jerome. Everything just kind of came together in those moments um and, and, it, and it was it felt like a horror film and i love that about it because it wasn't like demons or anything it was like man what is the worst possible thing that could happen to miles in this moment and it was like all happening so yeah i, I, I thought it was i thought it was really well done that spidey sense note is interesting because even gwen's went off like his didn't go off hers went off in an entirely different universe, yeah, universe. she just sent something mm -hmm. you know that, that was off but um that is an interesting point but this this whole sequence, him ending up on Earth 42, this was their Back to the Future Part 2 moment. If you've yeah. seen Back to the Future Part 2, Marty McFly goes back to 1985, but it's not his 1985. It's an alternate 1985 that's been affected by choices and events that he made in the future. It's a chaotic dystopia. The world is in ruins. Biff Tannen has become this wealthy and corrupt businessman. His father, yeah. George McFly, is murdered. It's horrific. It's like, what the fuck went down while I was gone? I thought I was coming back to my own home and my own you know turf and this is completely different and it's like a it's like a it, it's like a war scene almost like the whole world is just in this this chaotic state of, of corruption mm -hmm. and this is exactly what they were going for in this scene they're coming back to a universe in earth 42 that does not have a spider-man therefore it makes so much sense that new york city is pretty much crumbling it's crime infested anything can go down and we're just seeing all the most horrific things play out mm -hmm. uncle aaron is still alive but he's evil he's low-key real real bad and he's also working with his nephew who he's probably convinced to also be a criminal and miles in that universe has become the prowler which is even all the more frightening because Crazy. he's really the leader of it all he's the one that's probably calling the shots more so than uncle aaron and he's 15 years old and we even see that Uncle Aaron is providing for Rio. He steps into the apartment mm. when Miles first realizes that he's alive in this universe. That's true. And he slips her some money. And Red we money. we learn 
<laughs> no, probably so. That's what it looks like. Maybe something, yeah. But he slips with some money because he, you know, when they go in the stairwell, he's like, yeah, the overnight shift is about to switch off. So they're about to go rob somewhere, obviously, Absolutely. and get some money. Yep. And and commit a you know a criminal act, and 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 she's working double time shifts. She's working overnight, and so. Jeff is dead, you know, again, resembling that George McFly moment in, in Back to the Future Part 2. So all that stuff was just like brilliantly realized. And as we were watching it, I didn't realize it. I didn't I didn't know that he had went to a wrong universe. I, I felt similarly that something was off and mm-hmm. that music kicks in and it's really eerie. You can just tell like yeah. something ain't right here. This is not how you end a movie in the traditional sense. But to see that he ended up in the wrong universe is wild and crazy especially considering he doesn't have a way back he doesn't have the watch he doesn't have a spider device to just transport between different universes which is why gwen is so important because also in this extended epilogue we finally get to see that resolution between her and her father we get to see them just kind of talk it out hug it out and 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 mend that fence and that 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 conflict and that wedge that was established between them and then it's even more important because he's able to give her the watch that Hobie left with Captain Stacy. Hobie visited her universe, and because he quit Spider Society, he left this last gift for Gwen to say, like, you know, th- this this is something that you can use in case shit goes wrong. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what what happened. Shit went really left, and Captain Stacy is able to give her the watch, and so she can travel between different universes. And we see that she recruits a team, and the team that she recruits includes Peter B. It includes Mayday. Spider Man India is back. Spider Punk, of course, Hobie is going to help out spider bite Margot kess is going to join the team and then returning is spider-man noir penny parker and spider ham from the yeah. first movie ending off on i think one of the most heroic shots in any spider-man movie yeah. ever fucking goosebumps you hear that music kick in goosebumps. you see gwen leading the troops to jump through the multiverse and she just looks at the camera sort of breaks the fourth wall and says you in and 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 fuck yeah i'm in i will be here next march oh yeah ready to go for spider-man beyond the spider-verse and so it just reaches this really really crazy ending to to wrap up the entire story so i think just a phenomenal job well done i think the to be continued is brilliant we rarely ever see that nowadays in movies Mm -hmm. like there's just not many franchises that are that ballsy to say like the story isn't over you got to come back in like 9 10 12 months whatever it's going to be to see how the rest of this plays out i think the last time we probably saw this like actively because we didn't even see it in infinity war and endgame you know they they will stand mm-hmm. by those movies as like two individual movies which you know sure but there wasn't a to be continued i don't know the last time we saw a to be continued maybe maybe the hunger games maybe the matrix i don't know i, I really yeah, can't I recall it it just it just doesn't happen often but w- what do you think about that choice again to sort of revisit that conversation to say we're going to end this movie here and you're you're going to have to revisit the the rest of the story when it comes out next year because i think that if there was one thing that people had a criticism about with this film Mm -hmm. the one consistent thing that i've seen is that a lot of people didn't know that this was a two-parter a lot of people didn't know that it was going to end this in this particular way which is nobody's fault i don't think it's anybody's fault per se but it is interesting that that's the one thing that people are like yeah i would change that because i wasn't prepared for this movie to end sort of in the middle of the story what what, what say you about just the choice to end it off on that note man first i absolutely love the choice of course like it's man after watching movie after movie man like you said we haven't seen that in a very long time um we did kind of just get it with Dune, but we knew Dune. Like, Dune is a whole book. You know what I'm saying? Like, we knew Dune part one, part two. This is a little different. We don't have that source material to kind of go off of. I I, just, I love it, man. I wish other people loved it more. I wish other people were like, 
felt like they don't need a conclusion right now and to just let them play the story. I really do. I wish I wish more people were excited for that because that makes me excited. That I, Almost the same way. Like you said, Infinity War and, and Endgame very much are, they call them two different movies, but that's a cliffhanger. He snapped everybody and that was the end of the, that's it. The credits roll like like a funeral. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I love, it still feels like that here though a little bit, right? Where your, your main character is in peril. He is tied to a boxing bag and looking himself in the face. <laughs> a bad version of himself in the face. I, I love that idea. And I love, I love telling people, look, you just bought in to two and a half hours of story. You got to come back next week. I love that. That's what TV does. Why can't a movie do it? You know what I'm saying? People are, we're doing that with the bloodline and wrestling. <laughs> we're doing that with television show, week to week TV shows. You know what I'm saying? Why can't this movie that has had all this care and all of this, uh, uh, all of this hype around it, all of this, you know, all of these moments that we've built up with this really good film that has subverted expectations of everything. Why can't this movie do it as well and give you a nice part two to put the bow on top? And I, just, I just wish more people were accepting of that. That's really all. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely love the idea. Like you said, it's one of the cool, to me, it's one of the coolest ways to end the film like you said the team up team Gwen is about to go crazy I'm excited because there is another team out there Miguel is kind of another team right now I have a feeling this will end up like a like a BVS kind of thing right where everyone's like okay spot is a problem <laughs> we kind of got to deal with spot and we're going to come together I do think that's going to happen but the fact that we get to see the team up the fact that we get to see Spider-Man Noir and all these people come back it does feel in gamey but for the right in the right ways it feels like the team up that's supposed to happen uh, because Gwen got a lot of she got a lot of ground to cover. She been tearing up. That's Loki. If you had to rename this movie, it'd be uh, Gwen done messed up verse because she messed up a lot <laughs> in this movie. And so now it's like beyond the spider verse is OK. It's time for Gwen to patch some things and to fix it. And I love how it ends on the team up, man. And it, it just it just looks cool, and it feels like the right way to go. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love the to be continued. Yeah, certainly a risky choice to not name the movie Part One. This was initially named across the Spider Verse Part One mm -hmm. and Part Two. That was how they were going to market this until they decided to change the names of the films to Across and Beyond. Which you know, if you just go back and stick with that original choice, and people come into this movie. I don't think you get anybody that's upset about it because everybody knows like, well, this isn't the end of it. That's mm -hmm. not to say that they didn't make the right choice. I actually like movies that don't have parts on them um, unless it's like, I don't know, a true trilogy. Like if we're doing part one, part two and part three, I just like consistency like that. Mm -hmm. It's a real nitpicky thing. But beyond that, it's it's one of those, I think, small differences that by the time you get the third movie, as long as it delivers on the matter. story, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter because we'll be able to look back on it and say like, oh, my God. That was so worth it. Of course, this isn't the end of the story. Of course, there's more to tell. Mm -hmm. That's the same way that happened with Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. We had to live with that moment for a year. Yeah. Everybody was fucking up in arms about the ending of Infinity War, which makes sense. You should be. You're supposed to feel something. You're supposed exactly. to be distraught at the end of that. Exactly. And some would argue that it is a complete movie. I actually fall on the side that it is a complete movie. I don't, I don't necessarily... And Cliffhanger is just such a... I don't know. You can look at it from so many different perspectives. But this does feel like a more traditional cliffhanger just because mm -hmm. our main character is indeed in peril. He yep. is in a situation where his story 
is not completing. So mm-hmm. I, I, lo- I love that. I love that we'll be able to come back to it. And, you know, patience is just not a thing that people exist with anymore. Instant gratification is a thing. And no. even with TV, though we are more accustomed to that, I think that that's what it is. Like the fact that like TV has always been that way, that the story is going to end now, but it's going to continue next season. So people just naturally, mm-hmm. I think, expect to live with that and to know that, that every season is going to end on a cliffhanger until it doesn't, until it just stops. Movies, people are just like, no, fuck that. It has to be over. I need a clean ending, <laughs> goddammit. I don't want it to be continued, which is, it's kind of weird. I do like that this choice is made because we don't see it as often. And we're bought in, as you said. We're going to be back for it. And that's Absolutely. brilliant. That's amazing. Um, I want to quickly ask you, in terms of like villains for the next story, Spot is going to be huge in the next one because he dropped off for like 90 minutes in this one you know yep. he he goes ghost you know uh figuratively the prowler as miles morales voiced by Jerome jerome comes up uncle aaron is back he's also bad j jonah jameson in the background also mentions the sinister six cartel what the hell is that cartel sinister six is already bad enough now we're talking about a cartel we're talking about possibly an entire organization that exists in new york city what do you think the outlook of villains looks like in the next movie do you think anybody turns to the good side and 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 finds the light or do you think we're looking at like you said maybe an in-game scenario where it's like hundreds of spider people versus like all the villains of new york city (laughs) every possible villain that's been created because this universe doesn't have a spider-man it just might turn into a war zone in in earth 42 maybe literally like spider getting you know in the comic books Mm, what what do you think about just the possibility of that I love it. That's what I'm here for, right? I mean, of course, we're all here for good story, but this is a comic book movie at the end of the day, and I think we're also here to do comic booky things, right? That's, this whole movie is hella comic booky, or else we wouldn't be here in Spider Society as Miguel O'Hara chases Miles Morales through, you know what I'm saying, a different universe. It's just like, yes, let's do that. But my first question is, in the Sinister Six Cartel, is the prowler a part of that that's the i think that will tell a lot right Mm -hmm. like is he in the cartel or not because that that really does change i think the dynamic of what this thing is supposed to be but i think we'll see uh uh, some of our usual suspects i think we'll see a doc ock i think we'll see an electro you know i think we'll see a mysterio in those animated versions because we haven't seen any of those people in, in, in these animated movies yet. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot. We There's a huge Spider-Man rogues gallery we have uh, uh, to touch on. So I'm really excited, I think, to see how that goes down. Not only that, in the glimpses of when, when Miguel O'Hara is given the rundown of the canon events and all of those things, there is a very clear webbing and node in there that's like, here are all the Venoms. <laughs> Everyone is supposed to have a Venom, mm. you know? And now I'm, I, I have to think. I'm like, well... That means Miles' symbiote venom is out there somewhere. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what it looks like or where it's at. So I'm like, are we going to potentially get that in the in, in as as part of the Sinister Sixes? I don't know. Shoot, they could even poke fun at Morbius and throw in like some animated Morbius <laughs> as like part of the Sinister Six in this thing. But like, make them cool though, right? If we know Miguel feels vampirish, him and Morbius could do something weird in the movie. You know what I'm saying? They could poke fun in that. I don't know. I just know there's a lot of there's a lot on the table for this next movie, and I'm just really excited to see it because, as you mentioned, Cartel is crazy. The idea- Sinister Six is one thing. S- Sinister Six Cartel is like another ball game <laughs> that I don't know really know how to address, and I'm not sure they do either. But it makes sense why the city looks like that. It makes sense why the city looks so run down, why everything looks terrible. If the Sinister Six Cartel is running the city, 
Absolutely, it will look like that. They don't care about none of that stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty ex- excited to see what happens. But, man, the possibilities are really endless of what they could do with Beyond the Spider-Verse, which I think is the, the reason for the title. They're like, y'all thought that was it? We're about to go beyond, literally. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. Uh, Morbius is like a meme of a movie. It's it's like the living embodiment of a meme <laughs> turned into a movie. Uh, so if they if they throw that in here, I'll, I'll be shocked. But you know, never say never in this whole expansive universe. But there there's a lot at play. There's a lot of possibilities, and they they certainly set the stakes and 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 made us just wonder and anticipate just how how crazy this might all get. And and the fact that Lord and Miller have already teased, like there will be more characters. There will be more spider people that we meet. We have not met everybody mm-hmm. just tells me that they have so much up their sleeve. And, and I just, you know, hope and anticipate that all the same care and attention will be put into this next one. When we, when we do receive it. Um, before we conclude with our final thoughts, I do want to just quickly ask you about the possibility of an upcoming live action, Miles Morales movie, Amy Pascal, producer over at pascal pictures produce all these spider-man movies essentially she's very much instrumental into the the development of the spider-verse in live action and animation has confirmed that they're working on a live action movie how do you feel about that is it time for that character to make his transition into live action especially considering like this is working so well the animated movies Mm -hmm. are just doing extraordinarily well and even the video games are having huge huge success is this the right time to bring miles morales into live action and and what do you think that that might look like does it happen in a standalone movie does it does he pop up in in tom holland's movies how how, how do they bring that character to life man it's it's it'll be interesting but i know regardless they have to treat it with care right now as you mentioned low-key miles is the spider-man in this moment in this time between the video games between what we're doing with these into the spider-verse movie shoot comics miles is the guy (laughs) and so you kind of have to you have to treat it with care no matter what route I think you decide to go down um, in terms of how they get it done, psh, it, it, it'll be hard to say. Uh, uh, one of my favorite ideas is one we visited recently on another podcast where, you know, we were, they, we were talking about what if, just what if in Beyond the Spider-Verse, we somehow get a live action casting of Miles Morales. To be honest, I would lose it. My popcorn would probably already be gone by this point, but I'm throwing the bucket across the room uh, <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and some people argue, oh, animation, we need to see it. You know, us as people, we have we have we've live action, everything else, <laughs> live action. Spider-Man needs to happen. We need to see him look like us. And I think that's important in 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 a, another way. I think they do get it done. One of my worries, I remember at one point, was that Tom Holland just isn't old enough because in a lot of these Miles iterations, whenever Peter is in Miles' life, whether dead or not, right? Video games, Peter did not. You know what I'm saying? Video games or not, Peter is just older. He's almost, you know what I'm saying? He can actually be a mentor to Miles versus Tom Holland. Of course, now he's a little, like he's going to college, but like we need, in my mind, we need late Peter before we get kind of the Miles that we're looking for. And I think maybe maybe we're finally getting to that point right where now we know this 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 new iteration of the mcu spider-man tom holland spider-man is older his friends are going to college he is on his own he is making his own suits maybe in my mind in a couple movies we might be ready maybe we're ready now i don't know but what i will say is now they can play with universes as much as they want you know what i mean it doesn't even it almost doesn't even matter in in some ways in which they put miles 
in or, or, or where they want to put them as long as it's done with care. And I think that's the most important part because y'all could say a Miles movie is coming out in a couple years and it'll just be in a different universe than everybody else's universe. It's It don't got to deal with the video game, the Into the Spider-Verse, the, the MCU, none of that. It could just be Miles' movie somewhere else. And so that, that is one of the benefits, I think, of, of this multi-dimensional, multi-universe thing that you're doing is now you can just put them wherever you see fit. And so I'll be interested to see where they do it. Again, I still really do love that Beyond the Spider-Verse idea. I think that's cool, but... Man, I, I think only time will tell what Amy Pascal and anybody else has up their sleeve when it comes to live action Miles. But I'm excited nonetheless. So to put it plainly, do I want to see Miles Morales in live action? Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. I think it, it would be a great move to do so. And in addition to that, we've gotten 10 theatrically, theatrically released Spider-Man movies in the 21st century alone since the year 2002. We've gotten 10 Spider-Man movies, but we've gotten five James Bond movies. We've gotten mm. four or five Batman movies, mm-hmm. maybe six. They have found a way, the people at Sony and then also Marvel Studios by proxy because of the MCU connections with Tom Holland, they have found a way to always make sure that they eventize Spider-Man movies to make them feel important, yeah. to make sure that every time out, we have to make sure we're going to knock this out of the park to the best of our ability. Have they hit that mark every single time? No. There are some ones in that canon of films that aren't that great, that we don't mm-hmm. look back that fondly on. But they have figured out a way to always rectify it. That's they have true. always gone back and said, that didn't work. Let's come up with a solution that will work. Mm-hmm. When the Tobey Maguire movie in Spider-Man 3 kind of fell apart, they pivoted and did Andrew Garfield, who was a great casting. Yeah, And then that second movie didn't work. And so they were like, Maybe now's the time to pull the trigger on the MCU connections. Let's do that. Mm, Great decision. Then Tom Holland appears in Avengers movies. Great decision. And then at the same time, they're like, well, we can still develop our own stuff. Let's take a a chance, excuse me, on a version of the character that maybe a lot of people don't know with Miles Morales. And so they do Into the Spider-Verse. And so I think that they understand, know how to pivot. Mm. And so I'm not worried about them taking care of the character and doing absolutely right by him i actually have a lot of confidence that they'll do it the right way and they're going to spend mm-hmm. the time that they need to to make sure that a live action miles morales movie will be great that said to just play devil's advocate this animation is so fucking good it's so extraordinary it's starting to actually make me wonder yo is live action really the route now for some of these characters <laughs> like do we have to do that like mm-hmm. wouldn't it be incredible if we could get like an animated movie of this caliber with x-men wouldn't it be incredible if we can get an animated movie of this caliber with i don't know fantastic four we're gonna get the live action of course but like Mm -hmm. i'm just wondering about the ways and the opportunities in which we can explore this stuff and i feel like marvel studios they've tapped into animation obviously recently with what if and some other series that are coming but it ain't touching this it it ain't even in the same ballpark not even close (laughs) not holding a candle but what if we could get to that level? Sony can't do that because they only have Spider-Man. But like, if Marvel were ever able to achieve this level of storytelling and animation, is this not the route to go? Because I ain't gonna lie to y'all, we've been talking about the CGI for some of these superhero movies over the past like year and a half, and they've been great. A lot of this ain't been great. Recently, Guardians of the Galaxy, good job. But some of these movies ain't been great. This animation, though, they're fucking doing it, you know, and it yeah. looks great. It looks like a comic book. It looks mm-hmm. how I it looks like how I always imagined it to be. So I'm just I'm just throwing that out there, just saying, like, 
perhaps live action isn't always the route. It's probably always the inevitable route because mm, it's capitalism. Mm. They don't want to make money. Like that's yeah, the that that's the bottom line, you know, yep. at the end of the day. So but I think I think I think creatively, just my, my my creative spirit is just like wondering, like, well, perhaps perhaps there's a better solution, and perhaps live action isn't always the answer. Because mm-hmm. for miles so far, live action has not been the answer. Animation has been the perfect answer for this character for this story that they're trying to tell. But we'll have to see. It all depends on just the quality of the movie and how it ultimately paints out to be. But with that being said, we're gonna finish out here. Closing thoughts to wrap up this conversation about Spider Man across the Spider Verse. I'll pass it to you, man. Just share with the people. Ultimately, how you feel about this movie, how it's impacted you and and where it sort of will live with you over the next year until we get the next one. And then just, you know, lastly, your ranking with the film amongst other Spider-Man movies and where it falls in line with what we've seen up until this point. Yeah, very, very obviously I was excited to watch this film. I love Miles Morales. I mean, I got keychains. I have a Miles Morales soccer jersey on right now as we speak. I was just really excited to get into this theater and to see this movie. And they absolutely delivered on all fronts for me. Um, Again, from the top, bottom, you make a rubric. They are 10s, if not 11s, across the board. I'm talking score, cinematography, story, animation, artistry, uh, uh, shoot, scripts, marketing. (laughs) They really were actually killing it on all fronts for this movie, man. And I'm, I'm just very, I think, elated and happy and excited to say that I absolutely love this movie man Uh, i have to reiterate as well let's not only have already become one of my favorite movies of 2023 i genuinely think it's one of my favorite movies potentially ever um, especially in animation (laughs) that's like not even a question and 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 i think i think anytime that happens it's it's we have to cherish it and that's the moment i feel like i'm in right now as we have seen the movie i am just trying to cherish the moment we have as this black spider-man is going crazy in theaters right after the week as the black mermaid did i mean what a time to be alive to be honest like for real not only that next week we have a quote unquote i know it's not completely 100 percent accurate a quote unquote black transformers coming out anthony ramos is in it and dominique fishback it's low-key about to be a black transformer so i'm just really man I'm, i'm really over the moon i'm pretty happy with everything that's happening recently to us, man. And this movie really is screaming that they did it. You know, um, of course, they still have to stick the landing. Of course, Beyond the Spider-Verse still has to it has to still be a good movie and be a good conclusion. But that does not take away from the fact that this movie has already broken. A lo- again, a lot of the expectations in 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 uh, I think ideas that these people had about it. In fact, the Loki, the story in the movie is speaking to the movie and how it's doing in in, in, in media itself. And I, I really love that about it. So I can't wait to, to again, watch the next one. This movie across the Spider-Verse at this moment, it's the best Spider-Man movie, bro. It just, it just is. <laughs> it just is. Uh, all the, a, a lot of other movies fall in line with their greatness. What's crazy is Spider-Man. Technically, there's no bad Spider-Man movies to me. To me, there's no I bad. Agree. I agree. Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man Two, is probably at the bottom of my list. But that movie also does things that a lot of other Spider-Man movies do not do. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that make it still a decent movie. Mm. I don't. I don't believe there's a bad Spider-Man movie. Like you said, you even just said it. They're going to. You believe they're going to always take care of the character, and I have to believe it myself at this point as well, man. So this movie is at the top. 
man, it's among shoot. If I had to give a top three off the head, Spider Man two and probably like a a No Way Home is in there. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's it's just crazy how good we've been doing in the Spider Man world between Into the Spider Verse, the video game, No Way Home. It's it really is just unprecedented territory when it comes to one singular character and one property You've, it's actually unheard of so i'm happy to be here across the spider-verse my favorite spider-man movie at this point in time i don't think it'll change to be honest this movie is nuts but man we did it and across the spider-verse is a success spider-man is the crown jewel of marvel the crown jewel of sony the flagship character of the Marvel canon of thousands and thousands of characters. He's the most popular superhero in the world. That's undebatable. You look at the metrics, look at the merchandising, look at any number you can. It's not even close. Spider-Man is literally the most popular superhero. And how amazing is it that a black Spider-Man can be at the forefront of the conversation about this character in this day and age And we can sit here and say, this is probably the best that they've ever done. After everything that we've seen, after everything that we've gotten, this movie is literally a testament to that, of how much we've gotten out of Spider-Man over the course of 60 years, how many video games and TV shows and comics and movies that we've gotten, and we're sitting here and saying, this is probably the apex. This is probably the best it's ever been. And it's a black Spider-Man. It's a Latinx Spider-Man. That's extraordinary. That's incredible. And it's an animated movie. And I love this film so much. I had damn near a transcendent experience watching it, which happens like once every seven years going to the movies. And we see a lot of fucking movies, y'all. We go to the movies a lot. Y'all see us. (laughs) And this just rarely happens where I feel what I felt watching Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I felt like, as I said earlier, like I was levitating. It felt like a different experience entirely. I couldn't put it into words. It stuck the landing for me. It's the perfect middle chapter. It's the two towers. It's the Empire Strikes Back. It's that great of a movie to set us up for what they're going to do next year with Beyond the Spider-Verse. And like I said in our instant reaction video, if they stick the landing on that movie, this is going to be in the conversation for one of the greatest trilogies ever. Fuck comic book movies. One of the greatest film trilogies ever. That is unbelievable. I would not have predicted that five, six, seven years ago when we were first starting to learn about Miles and see what he was capable of. But here we are. The The possibilities are as high as they ever been. The ceiling is as high as it's ever been. And the future is as bright, I think, as it's ever been for the characters of Miles Morales, especially within the context of the Spider-Verse series. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie as well. It's number one. And the only thing that probably will dethrone it and, and potentially dethrone it if they can do it, it's beyond the Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse next Spider-Verse. year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, right now, it's absolutely the best Spider-Man movie. And I think the best outing that they, that, that they have ever given us. And so I'm just, oh, I'm over the moon about it. I can't wait to continue to talk to more people about it. But folks, we did it. With all of that said, we are officially done with our review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said... That will officially wrap up the season nine premiere of Two Black Nurse. Thank you all again for tuning into another podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to two other podcasts, Unqualified Heroes and Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. 
Des and I both appeared on these other two podcasts this past weekend to talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So if this three-plus-hour review isn't enough for you, <laughs> we're talking about the movie even more on those podcasts. So go check those out. Again, that's Unqualified Heroes and Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. Both great, great podcasts. Both friends of, of Two Black Nerds as well. We had a blast talking about this movie in detail with those two. So definitely go ch- check out those shows. And we will be back later this week because we got a lot to catch up on. There are other movies we got to talk about, including Fast X. We also got to catch up and review The Little Mermaid. And of course, we will be back to break down that last episode of Succession on HBO because, boy, that was something to see this past week on HBO. So we will be back later this week to break down all the stuff we have to catch up with. But until then, we will see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. I love you want to say Audi 2099. I know it's nerdy. Uh, please check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds. Where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. My rich friends and my broke friends coexist. They love the mix and we know what it is. Feel